Are you finished, Mr. Slade? No, I'm just getting warmed up. Hello, world. This is Chris Abalo's podcast experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the best of 2021, volume two, the second of two parts of some of my favorite moments from the shows in 2021. 49 shows over 68 hours of podcasts. It's crazy. First of all, thank you for checking out the best of 2021. And if you don't already, please follow the show at Cape Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and subscribe to Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment wherever you get your podcasts or stream your music. It's everywhere. And if you happen to be catching this show at the end of December when it goes out or in January or February of 2022, the show's currently on a little bit of a break. It will be returning in early 2022. That announcement will be made, of course, on the social media. And I said a little bit about this in my introduction to Volume 1, but I realized that I've done 96 episodes between... 2020 and 2021, did two compilations at the end of 2020, and now two compilations at the end of 2021. So I've done 100 episodes nonstop without missing a week since March of 2020. So yeah, it's time for a break. The show's going to be coming back. Just need to recharge the batteries and put some energy into some other creative projects that I'm doing. But the show will be back. So fear not. And where volume one focused on the group shows, which were shows that included myself and a bunch of my friends talking about whatever. Volume 2 is a compilation of the 13 episodes that were interviews and crossover shows. I did nine one-on-one interviews this last year, and we did three crossover episodes with other podcasts from a shared universe podcast studio, which is the studio home of Cape. And since the interviews went pretty well in depth and you're basically hearing snippets of those conversations, I did want to give you a little bit of context for who the guests are that you're going to be hearing from in this collection. To start, Ming Chen and Mike Zapsik, owners of a shared universe podcast studio and stars of the AMC show Comic Book Men. They've been on a bunch of the group shows during the year as well, but I did talk with them one-on-one and got a little more into their journey and kind of what brought them to where they are now. The trio, that is Pete Morano, Joe Morano, and Mike Morano. There's a couple things you need to know about them. One, they're all brothers. Two, they all work in entertainment. Three, they're my cousins. And they're spread all over the country. So I usually see them at family gatherings, but there's a lot of people there. So we don't get as much time to talk about everybody's history. So it was good to actually delve into that and see kind of the paths they've taken. And I did talk one-on-one with Pete last year, who's the guitarist in Trombone Shorty and Orleans Avenue. We talked a bit about his journey last year, but it was interesting to hear about being off the road for the first time in his career for almost a year in this follow-up interview. Joe Morano is a broadcaster currently doing sports. In Charlotte, and Mike Morano is a St. Louis-based drummer for the band The Mighty Pines, and he's also a session player. And the three of them are between two and six years younger than me, so by the time they were getting their lives together and getting on their track, clearly my head was too far up my own ass about my own life, so I wasn't paying attention. No, really, I don't know the entirety of their journey and what brought them to their careers and where they are now, so it was cool to do a deep dive with them and actually talk about all that stuff. Another returning guest who I talked to in 2020 and caught up with again this year is Sean Johnson, YouTuber and guitar player who I met back at Musicians Institute in 2007. We've been friends ever since. Militia Vox, 
singer for Judas Priestess and solo artist in her own right and creative multi-hyphenate, Zuzu Mansoor, singer, songwriter, and fearless leader of the band Soraya, and Doc Coyle, guitarist for Bad Wolves, Good Jersey Boy, and former guitarist of the New Jersey band God Forbid. And as I said, there were three crossover episodes that were done in 2021 as well. Podcasts we met through the community of A Shared Universe, where one of us got in touch with the other, said, hey, do you want to be on my show? Do you want to come on my show? All that other stuff. There was The Extended Branch, which is a podcast about Freemasonry and the business of it and its place in the 2021 world. Co-hosted by Andrew, who's a regular on this show, along with Billy Bilbo and Kevin Cotter. And that show actually came about because Cape started going to a shared universe. And they saw that and said, ooh, maybe we should start a podcast and check that out. That seems like a good idea. So cool to have inspired somebody else to do it. Respect the Blackout, which is an adult-oriented podcast where Munch and Shah, the two hosts of that show, interview a lot of adult entertainers, adult actresses. You get the idea. So if in the clips you hear like the conversation pivot a little bit to a more adult area, then uh, don't be thrown by that. Don't clutch your. Pro- oh, my God. What are they talking about? You know, it's it, this is an adult show as well. It's just we don't talk to adult performers. We just get crazy and inappropriate on our own. And Cape also crossed over with comics, cartoons and craft beers hosted by Joe Weber and John Beecroft, who you also heard in volume one because they've come on the show other times beyond just the initial crossover. It's because they're down for the cape nonsense as well. And that was interesting because they kind of flipped the script on me and asked me a bunch of questions, almost interviewed me. So go figure. But it was great to do the crossovers. It was great to go back and listen to these episodes and kind of reflect on the growth of the show and how creatively fulfilling it was for me during the year, in part because someone actually asked me this the other day, just in the weeks between volume one and volume two saying, are you tired of talking to people or doing interviews or anything like that? You know, you've, you've done a lot of them. And truthfully, no, because the podcast isn't my job. It's very much done for my own amusement, hopefully your amusement. So I get to choose the people who I want to talk to. And it's generally people I find funny and interesting. And in a lot of cases, especially this year, people who I'm fans of their music. There's a lot of musicians you're going to hear from in this one. And uh, people who I'm just interested in, period. And I want to know about the journey. I'm very interested in that, particularly people who are also creatives and work in some area of entertainment. Because I identify with a lot of things they have to say, and I think sharing their stories is really interesting. So I enjoy it. The two sides of the show have basically been the interviews and the group shows, and I like that there's that range. Cape has that kind of range where you have the the two sides of the show. I enjoy that about doing this. I like being able to mix it up. And if you find the guests interesting, I'm going to be popping on in between each clip to give you the episode number the clip is from. So if you want to go back and listen to it, obviously I recommend all of them. I recommend every single episode from 2021. But if you want to go check those out and hear a fuller, more broad conversation with the guests, there will be an easy reference point for that. But let's get things started. And we'll kick this off with the first interview of 2021 in a clip from Cape 156 with Ming Chen. Yeah, and you know, if you look at our studio, you know, we welcome podcasters from all walks of life, talking about all topics. But it really was a thinly veiled attempt to just get more geek friends. So, <laughs> so welcome and thank you. And you've done it. Yeah, we need we need to get the local geeks together. How can we do it? Well, geeks love podcasting and YouTube. I got it. Let's build a studio, and that way they're going to come to us. That's pretty genius. Yeah, I actually. mean, you know, I mean, we joke about that, but um, you know, like guys like me, you, you know, we have geek themed podcasts. Um, and we've been doing, we've been doing it for a while and, uh, yeah, it really, I, I've always, I, it, it hit me that it was kind of like, well, what, you know, geeks, you know, we were outcasts for a while. Now we're cool. 
you know, now everyone comes to us for knowledge and guidance. Right. Um, but uh, before that, all our friends were, you know, the only friends we had were fellow geeks. And what did, what do you like to do with other fellow geeks? You love to argue. You love to <laughs> complain about bad movies. You love to compliment the good movies. Like uh, guys like us, we're, we're the only thing that we're armed with is our opinion. Like that's oh, yeah. our only weapon in this world. <laughs> and, um, you know, why not wield that weapon and take it out to a global audience through podcasting? Totally. So, uh, yeah. I, yeah. So, you know, this whole studio idea started because we wanted to, we, we knew that other geeks would do stuff, would, would start podcasts because, um, you know, we found a way to kind of validate our opinions um, or invalidate them, <laughs> meaning, you know, we would argue for an hour or two about a movie or something, put it out in the world, and either we would get feedback from people who agreed with it or they disagreed with it. And um, and then that sparked more discussion, but that also got you listeners, too, and sometimes friends. And uh, I was like, wow, this is cool. I, it, really, it was really born by, like, man, we're having this much fun. I wonder if other guys out there, other guys and girls, I wonder if other geeks out there, would have as much fun doing this as we do. Totally. And the answer, yeah, is a resounding yes. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. I've been saying for a while, even in the nascent days of, of podcasting, when we all started doing stuff together in 2010, I said, you know, that this is all the stuff we talk about, whether it was, I mean, the whole point of the only podcast that matters, the show we all started together, <laughs> was talking about, you know, when you get a booth in a restaurant with your friends and you're meeting up on a weekly basis and talk about what's going on. Sometimes you talk about relationships. Sometimes you talk about movies, sometimes talk about music or TV or, you know, the upcoming holiday, whatever it was. And that kind of stuff is the same fodder that you get from sports talk radio or there's how many, there's like 19 ESPNs. They're all about sports. It's all about theories of what's going to happen. It's all about potential trades. It's all about the draft. It's the same stuff geeks talk about, whether you're a comic book geek, a film geek, a music geek, it's all the same thing, except our medium, as opposed to radio stations, <laughs> is podcasting and YouTube. So no matter what you're into, I feel like it's there is some version of that. As much as people kind of look at it as being silly, it's no different than what sports guys do. You know, guys yeah, who are sports and, talk and, 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 uh, ad nauseum about theories and what might happen and what's going to happen this upcoming season and with their team and with the players. It's no different than the stuff we talk about. Yeah, and uh, you bring up a, a great, you just sparked a great memory Um, those those conversations we would have at a diner at a diner booth uh, after a midnight movie, uh, you know, me and three or four other friends, mm -hmm. you know, eating greasy, bad food. We'd just seen a movie and we would sit there for hours discussing, you know, whether we liked the movie or not or, you know, comparing that movie to ones that we that we really liked or really hated and just going on for hours. Right. And I wish I, I wish, you know, like maybe I had like a superpower or there was some kind of like talisman or a gem <laughs> that would allow me to go back and listen back to those conversations. Totally. You know, um, that we could go back and have a recording of those conversations. And now we do. We yeah, totally we do. do. We, have, we have it through this. And man, like what I wouldn't give to to have some of those diner uh, after movie conversations back, man. That, I. I, and and you know because you know we don't remember what we said we mm. we remember we that we whatever we were arguing about we argued about it as passionately as anything else we did in in this world right um it was probably something that didn't even matter really but to us at that moment it was everything it did it was everything <laughs> it was, yeah the argument especially fresh off of seeing something new 
there's always some kind of debate. And that's the stuff that kind of got us podcasting in the first place when we realized, yeah. you know, can we do something with these conversations? Not in a way that we were looking to, to monetize or anything, but to put it out there. Because if we were, especially we're getting riled up in a, in a booth, in a diner, in a restaurant, and like the tables around us are amused by it. Or, you know, the, yeah. the, whoever, the, the waiter or waitress, the server is uh, amused by our conversation and our dynamic. We thought there's got to be some way we have to, there must be a medium for this. And that's how podcasting came about is buying some karaoke mics and a, and a soundboard and saying, let's, let's talk for an hour. And that, yeah, that I, old I show just, was born. I just, I just remember, uh, you know, the number of times the waitress would come by, like just overhear a conversation, just shake, start shaking <laughs> her head and walking away without saying a word. I was right. like, oh man, that well, that must have been a doozy, I guess, whatever we were saying. But, and <laughs> it's funny you mentioned so, the, the post movie viewing and then going to like a, a, a diner specifically, because I feel like that's very, very Jersey because diners are ubiquitous here. And it's not to say they don't exist elsewhere. It's just diners being 24 hours around here and always being in proximity to a mall or a movie theater, which is one of those things, you know, a common thread. Uh, that that we share is certainly the influence of Kevin Smith, uh, you to a greater degree. But the the idea that the conversations, particularly in Clerks and Mall Rats, the everyday stuff that you're talking about with your buddies at work or walking around the mall, it's something that when you when you know it and when you've lived it, not to say everybody has those conversations with like a close friend the way Dante and Randall and uh, that T.S. And, and Brody have. But the idea that you're walking around the mall specifically i feel like that that very much is born from something that i look at as being around here i realize it might be biased possibly uninformed because other states probably have a version of that but because malls are so prevalent in jersey and diners are so prevalent i feel like that the, going to the movies or going to the mall and then you know arguing about what you just saw and debating the the merits of it or lack of at a diner afterwards i feel like those things very much go hand in hand and it's what there is to do around here let's be honest going to the mall is yeah and what uh, we all i can verify <laughs> i can verify this happens outside of jersey because i'm actually right. not from here right i moved not. i moved here in, i moved here in 2002 uh almost 20 years ago to work full-time for kevin uh before that i spent most of my time in michigan in uh, ann arbor michigan oh and um yeah we did uh, we we had this little 24-hour diner it was attached to i think a days in and it was this little diner called silverman's and it was open 24-7. It was maybe like two miles from the, the movie theater that we would all go to. And that's where I would get my, our, like you know, the post-movie, um, you know, bre the breakfast meal. at midnight. You know, yeah. breakfast at 2 a.m. <laughs> the 2 a.m. omelet, yeah. Or, yeah, the 2 a.m. <laughs> omelet with, uh, you know, hash browns and, and hot sauce and whatever. And, um, yeah. I, and, uh, yeah, and, and the waitress I talked about who would shake her head. Uh, she was the wife of the guy who op who opened up the local comic book shop that we all went to. Oh man! And, so she's uh, she's had an earful of this forever. She's <laughs> had an earful, but you know, and she shook her head. But at the same time, you know, she was a geek too. So so we all loved her, and um, and she also happened to be pregnant at the time, and was working at the diner to make extra money to raise you know for the kid. Mm. And uh, it was yeah, it was a whole thing. You know, these are like early. These are uh, like late eighties, early nineties. Uh, conversations, um, you know, I, for us, like the heyday of, of movie going. Oh, like, yeah. And, Especially you're a little younger than I am, but for me, it was like a little the heyday of movie going. And um, yeah, like at times like that, like I'll never forget the forget those times for sure. Yeah, there's definitely in that window, like late teens, early 20s, when you are hanging out before the full weight of adulthood has fallen on you <laughs> like an anvil. 
when you're going out with your friends and yeah, you have those late nights where you're going to see a midnight movie and then you're at the diner at two in the morning debating it. Yeah, I just wish I had those conversations recorded somewhere, but you know what? Better late than never is my one of my one of the things I like saying. So totally. Now now like nothing we do there I mean there's a rec there's pretty much a record, either audio, video, insta story. YouTube clip, whatever. Now there's pretty much a, a some kind of documentation of everything we've done so far. So right. there should be no no shortage of being able to look back. Yeah, that that's one of the things I always liked about the, the medium of podcasting, just to talk about that for a moment, because my thought was, you know, when myself and Andrew, Jack, and Ryan started doing the show together in 2010, I thought it's something that was going to be perpetual and it would just go on and on and as we started to accumulate let's say you know into the second year i thought you know what's really cool is this is going to serve as a document for for this period in our lives or whatever period in our lives as long as we you know carry on with it because i mean at that point andrew was the only one who was married uh when we started ryan had not yet gotten together with his now wife jack hadn't got together with his now wife so the idea that we had this this period of our lives more or less documented week to week on top of just further deepening our friendships by having these conversations on the show and having the the common bond of the show among everything else we shared was great. And the idea that we have this in particular, that first four year period of, of 2010 to 2014, it's it's documented over the course of you know 200 plus hours of episodes where we can go back and say, wow, that was that's how it was for our late 20s, early 30s, that whole period of our lives. And that's something we can always go back and and listen to and kind of reflect on. And those those memories are still very, very clear to me. My memory is generally terrible. My rearview mirror is not great. But I do remember a lot of stuff surrounding those shows, in part because there's the reference point of being able to listen back to the conversations and, and those different highlights. It's kind of like a, an improved version of flipping through a photo album. Like, oh, I remember that Christmas. Oh. Cape 173 with Mike Zapsick. There's a public perception that everybody in show business knows each other. So they think everybody at a con is just hanging out together and partying together. And it's not necessarily that way. If you hang out with Ming Chen, you're partying with everybody. Uh, well, That's yeah, he's, literally the truth. He, he is. He's like the concierge. Of, yes. He is a concierge. Of nerds. Of, of, yes. That's perfect. He's the he's, nerd concierge. The, you're like welcome, that, Ming. That, I need to see the, that in your Twitter bio. The geek concierge, let's call that. The geek concierge. Yeah, the geek concierge, because we can't call him a nerd. Chicken head biting yeah. concierge. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty sweet for Ming. Um, but no, Ming will, people think that he is, especially the the women, think he's, oh, he's so cute. And he's he's now- Because he's up to their knees. That's exactly. why. Exactly. Like, I can put him in my pocket and take him home. Exactly. And that's what they love about him, because he's automatically their gay friend. <laughs> He is, even though Ming is not gay, but he is their, you know, the equivalency of. But he, he fills that role. He's safe. Yes, right. he is their he is. safe guy, he and he he becomes their buffer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, so many, so many beautiful actresses and you know nerd queens. They're like Ming is awesome, and your Brian Johnson was always astonished at that. He's like. What the fuck? Yeah, like, and I'm like, why? Then, How? They, well, well, look at you, Ryan. Look at you, and then look at Ming. Yes. Which one's more intimidating? Yeah, actually, which <laughs> one of you looks more rapey? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And no offense to to you, but you look a little rapey. You know, <laughs> Ming, maybe the hand, maybe the beard. I don't know. Maybe that's why I, I shaved my. That's a good, off. Yeah. See, so now you can be more cute. 
Yeah, yeah. Can, I'm cute. You can be more cuddly. Hey, but, but you cute. You can't be drop kicked as easily as Ming. That's because, true. Uh, not to be a sizist, but listen, it's it's a factor when I, it comes to it is women feeling comfortable around I, I strange feel, men. Yes, and Ming also. And we say that as strange men, by the way. And yes, very strange. And the the funny thing is that Ming always had access to a car. I have no idea how. But he always said, he's like, hey, I borrowed my mom's car. We're in like Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I got my mom's car. It's like, what? All right. And it felt Does like. you live in a garage like Reggie Hammond? Yeah. Just sitting there for two years <laughs> yeah, what in the, case you need it? Yeah. What the hell? I, I mean, it was John Wick all over again. You know, it's, you know, he's sitting there like crashing through concrete. It's like, oh, here's my mom's car. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah. How do no. you come up with this shit? And, but he did every time. And he would. Uh, he's Mr. Uber and boom, you know, he is definitely that guy. And I mean, I've met a lot of people and I I've name dropped many of them. Um, but Ming hooks that stuff up. He is the, he is the concierge. I love yeah. that. The, the nerd, we're going to go with the nerd concierge, nerd? Okay. the nerd, nerd concierge. concierge. He is, he's, he knows everybody. He could be, he could be like mayor of show business. If it Jimmy is? Kimmel doesn't run, Ming Chen could be mayor of show business. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so. pretty much it. Yeah, or or a super agent. Like yeah. he, he also because he knows everybody because he's he's friendly with everybody. It is so weird. If and he if he wanted to just tap out of a shared universe and go be an agent, yeah, I know, he'd probably kill it. But instead, I got, he's, he's slumming it with the likes of Chris Abala's podcast yeah. experiment. Well, I mean, you you're all right. You're well, thanks. Good, you're a good guy. So I, I got, got a call one time. We're, we were at a con. I, where the where the hell were we? I forget where we were, but uh, I get a call from him. He's like, "Dude, you got to come out to dinner with me." I'm like, all right. And so I go, and we're there with uh, Jason Isaacs and John Schneider. <laughs> In what fucking universe? And he met them that day, right? Yeah. <laughs> In what universe are you sitting there playing uh, Cards Against Humanity uh -huh. with one of the Duke with boys and, and uh, Lucius Malfoy? Lucius Malfoy, that's... <laughs> I was like, holy shit. And, and not only that, I'm like, I'm sitting there and... I'm like, you know, I've got a man cry. I, it was Comic Palooza, I think. Was it Comic Palooza? I, I forget where the hell it was. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. But I'm like, you're Jason Isaacs. I'm like, yeah. dude, I'm man crushing on you really hard. Yeah. Like, you're all right. Listen, Dustin Hoffman, nothing on your Captain Hook, okay? It's between you and I. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah exactly. <laughs> Wasn't he canceled? So uh, probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody is. Yeah. At this point, so we, yeah. we will be by the end of the hour. Oh my God. I, I'm surprised I'm not canceled right now. We'll find out on Monday when this goes yeah, out. <laughs> <laughs> in, in a couple of days. Yeah. Couple, you can enjoy your life for the next couple of days. Before, I will. Before Twitter hates you. Cape 162 with Militia Vox. You actually sang before you spoke. That has my curiosity. How did that come about? Well, my parents told me. I blame it on the mixtape. It's my dad's mixtapes. My dad it. was like the king of car jams, big time. Like he awesome. was like he would put his like mixtapes on, and like you would memorize the order because that's how often they were played. I mean, it was just like it was the thing. So there was this song called "Babe" by Styx, which I'm sure rock people know that song. Mm -hmm. um, but the end of the song is like it's just like this like it's a very triumphant song and like very like sticks ish. And then at the end of the song, there's just like a cool little riff where he's like, Ooh, babe. Like that's the, that's the outro, right? Like that's the finish. And apparently I sang it. 
as like a, an infant. Like, and my parents were like, they turned around, they were like shocked. So you're in the like, car seat, oh, strapped yeah, in, and yeah. first sound, first complete word yeah. was yeah. ooh, followed by ooh, babe. babe. Yeah. And like, and they were just like so surprised and shocked. And then they said that I made like, I was laughing and like made a face like, didn't know I could do that. Did you? <laughs> um, so like, I've always been so mischievous, it seems mm-hmm. like just always. But yeah, it was just like out of the blue. I can't say what my train of thought was at the time. Well, Don't of course. Remember. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's like one of my parents' favorite stories. But they said that they knew that I was going to be, if not a singer, but at least musical, because even before that, before I could speak, like I was like glued to the TV once when like an American in Paris was on. And like my mom just like couldn't tear me away. And I was just like so captivated. Like these people were like singing and dancing. It was beautiful and like, you know, so organized and they all knew what to do and it had this beautiful energy and like these worlds are created. And like I was just like, you know, just, just captivated by the spectacle yeah. of an American. Yeah. Paris. And like my mom was like, and we tried to like move you into the dining room to eat dinner and like you were throwing a tantrum because you had to watch the rest of this musical so they like ate dinner in front of the tv so i could watch this musical <laughs> you know so like i've just always been obsessed with it you know right and does that come they, from them are they musical at all or are they just fans they're just fans That's they're not musicians whatsoever like no musical discipline there at all <laughs> so you've just been exposed to mixtapes since being in the womb and that kind of fed a lot right. of it well my parents would go to concerts like my parents were my parents always went to concerts. My dad's like, super, he's, he loves music. He's always been a super fan. I mean, he saw everybody like down in DC, like at the Howard theater. Mm. He saw like, you know, when Motown used to do like those like full day shows, you know? Right. And like the Supremes would be there and like, you know, they do the hits and the four tops come on. And then it's, yeah, yeah, it's like those package tours. My dad used to go to those That's amazing. and he would be like, him and his him, him his buddy be like the only white guys in the whole place. <laughs> like they would go to all these shows. My dad like hit on Diana Ross when he was like 16. She looked at him like, the fuck? You're not even old enough to be in here, kid. You know, like you shouldn't be in here. Um, like my dad was just like him and his friend like made fake media passes to get into these shows. And oh, they that's worked. hysterical. Yeah. Like back in the day when it, you could um, do that effectively. Yeah. Like it was like, what was it? Um you know, whatever the big press company was, I forget. What was it called? Like AP, AP or something like that. Or like, I, I forget, something like that. Anyway, he made these, they made these fake journalist cards. They got into everything. So my dad just always like went to see shows. So like my mom and him saw like, oh my God, they saw Elton John. They saw, you know, they would go see comedy shows too. They saw Red Fox, Bill Cosby, oh. this whole fucking everybody. And I think it was Bill Cosby. Or Red Fox, maybe it was Red Fox, who told them they got backstage somehow. And like my mom was pregnant and they said he said something like, You're gonna give the world the next Lena Horn. And so like I That feel sounds like, I was like Red Fox. Because that was Fred Sampson. It was Red was Fox. Lena Horn. It must have been. Okay, it was Red Fox. And I'm you, feeling no, the conversation right. with Bill Red Cosby Fox. could have been a little different, but that's just me. But yeah, I, I do think have. um time has shown us. No, it's uh, definitely that, Red but. Fox. Yeah, that definitely sounds it like was. that was 
Fred Sanford singing was always, lean on. And then she finally showed up on yeah. the show. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's what it was Red Fox. Like, because I remember my mom, I had to record the story because I didn't want to forget. So I was like marked by Red Fox to be a singer. <laughs> I think that may okay. very well be the title of this episode. Marked <laughs> by Red Fox. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. It's, it's not going to get any better than that. Or maybe. Let's see how this goes. And but, they said there was like empty bottles of crown royal all over his dressing room and like you know yeah that it was quite the scene yeah that, that, so like, that holds water yeah that yeah. whole story sounds exactly like how that might have gone down i feel awful for my parents in a way because like i was so obsessed so young like to be like i want to do this i didn't know how i was going to do it but i just like knew i had to do it and like i would listen to music like my dad would give me albums and be like you're my daughter and you're gonna go to your room and you're gonna learn you know <laughs> wait iron butterfly so he, he would hand you it he would be like I'm, I'm gonna get a prop going here so he would, this prince yes. record is gonna stand in for like so he would say this is disraeli gears take it to your room <laughs> you're gonna listen to it yes. and then we're gonna talk about it yes. afterwards and when you're done with that yes we're gonna move on to led zeppelin three yes. tell me why you think audiences rejected yep. it when it first came out he would actually <laughs> yeah, basically that's amazing Yep. See, that's the kind of so parenting I, I can get behind. Like, yeah, so that's why I'm kind of like in, in the encyclopedia in a lot of ways, just because I just like, I you mean, were, you were made I've to study. Had this, yeah, I've had this. I've had the schooling. You know, I was homeschooled, but um, I was learning all this stuff when like none of my classmates were. So like, I couldn't like talk to anyone about it really. That was my age. Like everyone was just kind of like, you listen to old music, and I'm just like, oh. Yeah, I guess so. Right. But then when, you know, the music of the times, like in like the 80s and 90s, it was just like, I mean, it, there was like the mainstream and like that was kind of it as far as I knew. And I remember like in the 90s, I remember Eddie Vedder saying, you know, there's a lot more bands out here than are played on the radio and on MTV. And I was like, there are. Like, I just assumed, like, if you were in a band, you got on TV. Right. Everyone had heard of you. That was it. And like, da-da-da. Like, and that's how it works. Like, you're a musician, so you know what to write. And then that song gets picked up somehow. Like, I just assumed. Like, I didn't realize that there was, like, huge scenes of bands with that go, like, you know, unregistered or, like, unnoticed in the mainstream. Like, I just didn't know. Because nobody around me was in a band at all i didn't know anybody who played music professionally like none of that where i grew up it was like horses you raised horses and you fucking you know you worked like whatever job like maybe you're a teacher or maybe you were i don't know a principal or maybe you worked in dc and something government wise like that's that's what was going on. So me. rock and metal are not alive and well in Maryland is what you're saying. <laughs> well, is... they, it, they very much are, but not where I grew up. I see. Time. Okay. So like I grew up in Columbia, Columbia was like, it was just a small town at the time. And so like, there were literally horse farms, like all over the place, like for fun, you would like see people walking their horses down the street and you would go grab some carrots and go feed the horses. Like that's like what, <laughs> what that was, was what like you did for up. fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, We're going to go feed like, the horses. Then what? Nothing. Yeah. You go feed the horses and then you would like walk down a Creek and look for fish or crayfish or whatever. Like it was just, it was a simple life. Let me tell you. <laughs> so, so bands and, and a career in music, you assumed yeah, all those people like, from another planet. It that was, was like something this, alien. Like, 
far off distant thing that I just like, I didn't know how to get to it. Like it just seemed like some, just uh, some other planet. I know. So I was like always asking like, how, like how, how does this happen? How does the music happen? How do people figure out what they even want to say? How do they figure out what it's supposed to sound like? How do they figure out what sound goes where, what note goes where? Like, so I was already asking these questions, like as a kid, like, how are they able to, you know, even the album cover put this like crazy cover. Like I would look at the King Crimson album covers and be like, how the fuck did they come up with this? Like, tell me what you know. Yeah, Somebody where, like, you know, where's the, where's like, the book that cracks the code for me? Yeah. Because I don't know how any of this stuff works. Cape 165 with Joe Morano. You and I are probably the last two people who have not guest hosted Jeopardy. So, I mean, <laughs> they're running through it, man. I, yeah. I, I realized that you're, you know, you just stepped into this new job, but like, is that on the table for you? Would you consider doing something like that? Should, should I, that come I along? said that on the, I said that on the air once. Oh, yeah. No offense to the current employer, but I, I said, <laughs> let a regular guy do it, you know? Totally. Just, just try that out. Maybe go back to that. And I, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm sure. That they're going to look at Joe Buck or somebody, you know. Well, to, yeah, that's that's where it goes. Gig sort of thing. Katie Couric. I mean, there are a bunch of those names floated out for people who are mm-hmm. who are known. I mean, we certain people yeah. know who they are. They're household names, right? But at least they can do the job as opposed to getting something, like, you know, somebody like Ken Jennings, let's say, who's not a broadcaster, was a gotcha. contestant who's well known, mm-hmm. or I'm mean, people been pushing for Levar Burton that he would be a great host. But I don't know. I mean, look, you're. You're 35. You could be doing this for 40 years. I, I think we need to make it happen. You got. You want to do a quick intro for Jeopardy and, and show off in case you know, we never know who's watching or listening. Do well, you is that the voiceover or is that the what? What should I? No, think? the on camera. All right, I'll go first because yeah. why not? Like, <laughs> hi everyone. I'm Chris Abalo. Welcome to Jeopardy, the show where we give you the answers and you guess the questions. Let's meet our contestants. I mean, I'm not going to come bad. up with some phony banter, but that kind of thing. So, yeah, give us yeah. give us one of those. Try it out. How do we do this? Let's see. <laughs> I, you know, would you do a little trot out, a little run out? Maybe I would do that. Bring some excitement, some energy to it. Yeah, there you go. Hey, everyone. Welcome on back to Jeopardy. You know the drill. We give you the answers. The guests give us the questions, and they take home the cash. Oh, see? Look at that. See? <laughs> Hire this guy. Hey, what a pro. Not bad. No, not at all. Just That's... give me an audition, guys. That's all I'm saying. Right. Bring in somebody who then could be associated with. I mean, look, Alex Trebek had been working for a while, but people know him as the Jeopardy guy. True. Why yeah. can't Joe Morano be the Jeopardy guy? <laughs> just to just go for a re- go after a regular guy, see what happens with a little broadcast background. Yeah, right. Yeah. Go go after a broadcaster or an announcer. That would be cool. Um, or even like That's the it. Bachelor, they're they're having trouble. That host isn't in a little bit of hot water right now. I mean, can, I don't know if you, we need to get into that, but yeah, I get it. I mean, no, are you, but, that, but are you willing to count roses? Are you up for that gig? <laughs> I would try that gig out for sure. I've done news and sports. I would branch into that world. Branch into rose counting. Match, is matchmaker? Is that it? I don't know. Ladies, this uh, is the final rose. Yeah, are you willing? To, are you willing to be trapped in a resort for six weeks with a bunch? Oh, of, you know what? A bunch of maniacs. I've <laughs> barely seen that show, but yeah, there's a lot of. It does seem like they have. Like the host has to get in on a lot of like, look, Jeff, it's okay. I know. And then Jeff's <laughs> crying, whether that's fake or not. And they're like, I gotta go after her. And I just, okay. And never mind. I couldn't do that. No. Paycheck would be nice, but it would <laughs> be. Uh, well, that's the thought. And at the same time, you're then known as the bachelor guy. So that's the yeah. trade off. It's like that guy I, used to be a sports broadcaster. 
Right. Like and, a local news sports broadcast. Exactly. So. And now he's, you know, had to, had to go give an opinion on something and now he's in hot water because, again, you can't let your personality shine through. <laughs> so, geez, yeah. now what do we do? We are, and, yeah. and does that color it for everybody else like yourself where it's, well, we can't get a person who's just a broadcaster because uh, you never know if they're right. going to shoot their mouth off in know. an interview about antebellum parties, which the correct answer is like, I don't think about them at all. <laughs> that's, that's the only <laughs> answer you should give. What a great gig. But um, yeah, like I don't know if Jeff Probst ever got past the just being the survivor guy. I think that was uh, he hosted his, Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Remember that? He did, which was great. But uh, yeah, there is always that association. But at the same time, what a, what a great gig to be able to do that for. I mean, Alex Trebek literally did it until about six days before he died. Just was yeah, able to show up and host was... Jeopardy. And that's that's kind of cool. There is the part of me that thinks, yeah, why would you retire? What are you going to do? It's only so much golf you can play. What's he going to watch game so, shows like other retired people do? He's spent Supreme his career gig it. on yeah. the bench till you go. <laughs> there is a part of that. There's something to that. Like there's that sort of show. I wouldn't blame Bob Barker did it till probably late seventies um, or maybe into his eighties. I can't remember how long Drew Carey's right. been on the prices right now, but he did that. That sort of thing I could definitely do. There's other things I'd see people do and I don't get Tony Larusa has been out of baseball for 10 years. I mean, outside of coaching and in the game like that. Mm. And just got hired to be the White Sox manager this year at 76. Yeah. Our president, also in his mid-70s. Guys, I want to coast when I'm in my 70s. <laughs> if I'm hosting Jeopardy, I'll gladly do that. But I don't think I need to make decisions on the country or whether to pinch hit for my catcher because he's struggling and knowing that fans and livelihoods are depending on it. You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah I hope to not be doing that. Myself. That's more weight than I want to carry. I mean, if yeah. I'm if I'm still doing one hour a week, there's a part of me that will be sad about it. <laughs> if in forty <laughs> if in forty years th this is still what I'm up to, it's like, hey, everybody, and hitting you up, just be like, so you got a real job? What's it like? Kate one ninety with Zuzu Mansoor. Do you remember the first song you performed live in front of an audience? Doesn't need to be paid audience. Karaoke counts. Just do you remember the first song you got up and sang? as the singer I, it was um well when i was in second grade i sang a song but i you know as when i decided i wanted to be a singer uh, i did go to open mic every uh tuesday night at a place called kahunaville in the oxford valley mall <laughs> <laughs> and i was terrified every Monday. was this night. like a hawaiian themed um, bar or something yes it was okay yes it was and um, you got three songs. And the very first song I ever sang was um, The Pretenders, uh, Back on the Chain Gang. Ah, nice. Second was Heartbreaker, Do 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 by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> wow. Just went yeah. right out of the gate. Just, all right, everybody yeah. knows this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I do and get up here and sing it. Yeah. And was that it? Was that where the, the bug got you? And you said, oh, I got to keep doing this. I need to go back and do this again, even yeah. if it's an open mic. Yeah, I needed to go. I as terrifying as it was, it was something I really wanted to do. So that's how I knew I wanted to do it because I hated it. It's again that thing like I hate it, but I have to do it. Like yeah. it's almost like this pull. It's like you know, it's just a pull, and I and I had to do it. And then you know, I remember I just wanted to. I was like, I'll just be in cover bands and you know, sing other people's songs. And then somebody said to me, you know. Um, for you to really own a song, you should write it yourself. So I was right. like, well, I guess I'm going to have to write songs then. You know what I mean? So, 
Um, but I know I, I knew I wanted to be a singer like since second grade. I just thought that I didn't have a voice. Like mm. I remember by the time I got to high school trying for things and I had a very deep voice compared to other girls and I just never got parts and I kind of confused getting parts in plays with singing, mm, you know, rock right. and roll. It's not the same thing. So, so um, yeah. So I finally realized after high school that I wanted to be, I could still do it and just be in a band. I was a drummer first because I thought I wasn't a singer. And I, I knew that I wanted to be in a touring band by high school. Like I knew I wanted to tour and I wanted to be in a band. So I knew I wanted to sing by second grade. I knew I wanted to be in a band by high school. Um, I wanted to be the singer, but I was like, I, I also love drums. So I played drums in, in a bunch of high school bands, you know? So then it was there. A <laughs> <laughs> so was there, a, was there a moment or an experience that made you say, okay, no, I want to be up front and I want to be the singer. I don't want to just be part of the band. I need to be up front. I need to be leading. I need to be the face of this band. Would that come from a particular moment or an experience? Since second grade. Since second yeah. grade. And nobody in my family had ever uh, been a singer or a performer. My mother always wanted to be a dancer, but she didn't, you know, my, my family, my, my mom and my dad loved singers. They were loved singers. Mm. And my father was Egyptian. So he used to play Omar Kalsoum for me all the time. So I heard a lot of Arabic music, a lot of this female Arabic singer. And that's where I got a lot of my minory um, kind of intonations from, um, which I had to unlearn a little bit um, to write some of the songs I've written. But I wouldn't say unlearned, just not lean on as much. And uh, I was a fan of melody growing up. So I always wanted to write melody. The first song I did write was in fourth grade and it was called Push It, which actually, <laughs> as we know, is a very popular song by Salt and Pepper. True. But still, the same song, it was just a bunch of rhymey stuff. So I knew like pretty early I wanted to sing. You know, I just didn't know. You know, I had a father who was like, you're going to be the first female president and you're going to be a doctor. So uh, I wasn't like geared in that direction, but I wanted to do it since second grade. Yeah. So when you decided to go in that direction, when you decided to pursue music, then did you, did you get support from your family or was it something that they didn't understand or did they think, OK, you go and do this for a little while when you get tired of it, then you're going to medical school or, you know, something like that? No, oddly enough, my father was like, I can tell this is what you love. You should do it. And he was very strict and very much like wanted me to have a very solid career. Um, and he told me, you obviously love this. This is what you, he, first thing he said is you sound like a boy. <laughs> Thanks. I, I played guess. him. I was terrified to play him a recorded song and I played it for him. And he's like, you sound like a boy. And I was like, okay. Like, is that a compliment? I get, you know, I was trying to put it in some category in my mind, but I was like, right. he's listening. So, um, and then he, I remember later on, he was like, this is what you really want to do, you know? Cause, um, really by the second year teaching, I was already the department head in English and mm. I felt like I was getting more and more committed and I loved English literature and I loved teaching, but I was like, I'm going to end up here every year because I like it, but I, it doesn't make my heart pound. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I love teaching. I love it, but I love talking about literature, but it doesn't make my heart pound. You know, there's a difference. Um, it doesn't scare the hell out of me. There's a yeah. difference. It doesn't, you know, make me feel losing it, you know? So, I mean, that's the difference. And I, I decided that that's what I wanted more than just loving something. I wanted the, I, I'll take the roller coaster ride if I'm doing what I, and I know I gave a hundred percent to it. Like, you know, I, I can't, I'll never look back and say, I didn't give it my all. Like no matter how far we get 
if, if this is where we stop or we go further or whatever, but I know I gave, I still know I gave everything to it, you know, and that matters. Cape 158 with Sean Johnson. Actually, that kind of ties into the conversation you and I had last year. One of the things you called for people to do, called on individuals to do, was to seek out something new and something different. Don't just yeah. go back to the same comforts. And I said, that's exactly what I've been doing. I've been watching Futurama every night before going to bed and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've seen the series t- probably 10 times, you know, the top to bottom. And that's what I'm doing. So I do need to branch out. If anything, I will admit, I probably branched out in terms of YouTube. Not as much, you know, not necessarily things okay. that I wasn't interested in. But I found a lot of stuff that's being made independently and a lot of uh, personalities and a lot of smaller production companies. That I thought, okay, great, this is different. It doesn't necessarily need to be something that's a narrative, like a movie or a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is is where I feel like I expanded. What did you end up digging into in the last oh. year that was a, different? I mean, you talk about the Rocky series when we when we spoke about it yeah. last year, that for the first time you I, said, I'm going to sit and watch these, all of them. Yeah. Did you? And catch up. Um, I did didn't know, <laughs> even oh. though you said it's one of those things when thinking about it, you know, looking back on, well, what did I do this last year? What could I have done? And we were well, talking before getting started about, you know, music and, and guitar playing and performing. It's kind of one of those things that I've used as a gauge. Like I didn't play nearly right. as much guitar and I've kind of been reconnecting with that over the last couple of months and putting more emphasis on it. Cause I realized, wow, I could have gotten in a lot of time. <laughs> I had a lot of time I, to work on music and I didn't. As far as digging into things that maybe are not quite the comfort zone uh area of things there have been a couple different journeys there's been me delving into new ideas as the as the viewer and then new ideas as the creator um with viewer things i have actually been going back and exploring shows that and movies and other things that i was only vaguely aware of uh as a as a kid as a teenager and even you know into these days um and started actually really you could say i embraced the feminine side a couple times i see nothing wrong Um, with that we had a we had a a moment on where we're browsing netflix and a couple julia roberts movies from the 90s came up uh (laughs) So we had uh, we had Runaway Bride on there, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, my wife loved. And I'm like, I've never actually seen that. But I recall the posters. Yes. Uh, and then another movie she was in in the just before the 90s. I think it actually was released in 89. Mystic Pizza came right. up. And what's ironic is just days before that, I had actually seen like a whole thing about like restaurants that movies or tv shows were based on and mystic pizza was one of them and i was like oh i actually know some i know something about the actual place i'm gonna go ahead and yeah let's put that in the queue and i'll be i'll be damned if it wasn't a it wasn't a really solid movie like you're never gonna have a movie with three female leads these days that deals with as deep of issues and things as that movie deals with and do it in a way that doesn't result to like seems to be the ensemble female cast thing to do these days is just vulgar comedy yeah which i can do vulgar comedy that doesn't bother me 
And it doesn't bother me necessarily if it's a woman doing it. What bothers me is that it's become the crutch and the trope. Totally. And it's like, guys, girls, <laughs> Give ladies us more. and gentle thems. Uh, there's got to be some substance to humanity here. And this kind of stuff isn't working. And it's just like, you know, it's Julia Roberts and a couple other girls that their names aren't in my head right now. But they all have a thing going on. They all have something they're trying to fight in the shadows of working at this pizza place. Mm -hmm. And it's just really, it's really interesting because it's, it's funny at times, but it's very deep. And some of the characters display naivete. Some of them display like early signs of like, you could just become the, the town drunk. Right. Or, you know, one of them is a slight nymphomaniac and the other who just wants to have sex with her boyfriend. And it's her boyfriend who wants more of a relationship and a commitment from her than just having sex all the time. Wow. Total role reversal there. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like it, it it was it was thought provoking. Like the acting was really, really good. The the whole situations like it's easy to follow. You know, each of the main characters has a, a main storyline. But it was like I can follow all these. And even though I'm not a woman, I see these things that they're going through. And it's like. Yeah, even guys go through some things closely related to this. So this isn't this isn't far off from understandability. Um, the other thing that I delved into, I watched a few episodes here and there when I was little, but I, I sat down and we watched the entire series of Boy Meets World. Uh, <laughs> boy, you want to get into some heavy viewing. You st You start getting into some heavy stuff around season four. Yeah. Oh, boy. Season four, just like episode after episode, it was like right there, yeah, right there, right there. Like, oh man, <laughs> heavy like, teenage shit. Now we're oh, really getting into it where it's so heavy teenage stuff that just like no show made for teenagers these days gets I, I, listen to how i sound nothing, <laughs> nothing nothing compares to the shows when i was growing up let's put on yeah, your grumpy old nothing, man pants believe me i wear them every nothing day nothing gets that deep nothing cuts cuts that deep no it's like all fluff able to, and not yeah. to be dismissive but it honestly is it's like a lot of stuff now that's made for teenagers is fluff yeah exactly I mean, it's just from, from what be, i've seen it's just supposed to make you feel good and it's not supposed yeah. to get too heady everything's supposed to make you feel good every everything is supposed to make it so that like you know life isn't hard yeah i got i got news flash in case you have any uh teenage listeners uh out there a uh, life is not easy and uh the more tv shows you watch that illustrate the the sort of rose-colored view of life being hard yeah the breeziness of life and yeah yeah the better and and boy meets world is a is a good one to to do that for you um and then uh, really viewing like yeah we've we've watched a few movies but 
and we watched a few stand-up comedy specials I've kind of dived into like the older eddie murphy stuff uh yeah some older richard Pryor material um gone back and watched a few older national lampoons movies that i missed um really kind of discovered this uh really kind of discovered this this deep appreciation as i always had an appreciation for john hughes but like deep deep appreciation for as much as his movies were probably all a, a lot similar to each other they never felt like you were watching the same movie twice yeah i i was just having this discussion the other day actually because when you mention John Hughes, everybody goes, oh, Breakfast Club, Breakfast Club. Is it Breakfast Club's his best movie? I would like to <laughs> debate that a little bit because is Breakfast Club a great movie? Without a doubt. But what I think is probably my favorite movie of his is Uncle Buck. And the reason oh, is, yes, I love that movie as a kid because I was a kid. I was Macaulay Culkin's age. I mean, and I still am, by the way. He's like a year older than me. But... I was that age, so I'm watching it as a kid and this crazy uncle and everything. Now, with my friends having kids, and with me being whatever the male equivalent of Baron is, but I I'm watching that now from the from almost the Uncle Buck perspective. Yeah. And the movie hits differently for me than it did as a kid. And I don't know that a lot of his movies will do that. I mean, I guess you can maybe make the the point of, you know, the janitor or the principal in, in Breakfast Club or something like that. Um, right. And I mean, Planes, Trains and Automobiles was always more of an adult movie anyway. Uh, aside from just being rated R, it just deals with, you know, t two grown men going through different things in life, obviously. Um, but I feel like that movie is underappreciated in that regard because it's a movie that just ages with, uh, I guess, uh, you, you kind of age along with it and you find something new and you look at it through a different perspective. So I'm willing to make the argument that Uncle Buck is the best John Hughes movie. Because the older I get, the more I see that movie from a different perspective. And I just look at it as, you know what, this is this is brilliant. And this really paints a it tells that slice of life story that it's trying to tell. But there's also a lot of heart in it and a lot of great humor. Cape 170 with the extended branch. Andrew being in a leadership role. <laughs> something I can't really picture. It's I. It seems unnatural, like a dog walking on a tine leg. So I, 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 I want to know how how did he slip through? Like he's he's the youngest in this room, and I can't imagine. I mean, you guys are probably the only three non AARP members at the lodge, but how is it? How is it? He well, you met Adam at rose least. to top of the heap uh, when he did the little two legged walk thing. He had the prettiest tutu, so we voted him in. Okay. See, I buy that as well. So, okay, so, so um, something that's common with a lot of lodges um, throughout the country, um, they have um, something called um, a line of succession. So yes. there's, there's, you know, for us, it's uh, fifteen, seven officers. Yes, yeah, seven, seven, seven major, yes. seven major. major. No, no, Anders, incorrect call. information number one. No, 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 no. In fifteen in, and seven are there are fifteen officer positions. Correct. Okay. But seven that are required to become worshipful master. I see. Right. Okay. So, That's so you start, you know, when you become an officer or you're asked to be an officer, um, if you decide to go that route, you know, you you can more or less assume that 
within seven years, you're going to be the worshipful master. And Andrew has gone through a number of officer chairs positions. Mm. Um, so it's his turn. I really. see. Yeah. So we, you know, we know right now in our lodge who's going to be worshipful master next year and the year after that. God forbid so. something happens, you know, oh, for yeah. sure. outstanding, something like that. Okay. So there is, there is a progression. There is a line. Yes. Yeah, basically, yes, yes, yes. there's a queue of people who are going to be moving through. Absolutely. Taking yes. a year as like, because it's only a year. For New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Okay. Oh, yes. Every it's state different. in yeah, the United States is different. Wow. Um, so it's like how my bank will only let me take a certain amount out of the ATM. <laughs> but if I had, you know, another bank, <laughs> yes, my limit be higher? Maybe higher, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so back to the solstice question. Um, with our, our lodge specifically, we like to ha- – for the Master Mason degree, we like to do it outdoors, outdoors. during the solstice. Hmm. And there's – Sounds like the, hippie shit. It, it does sound oh, like hippie yeah, shit. Big it, time. It, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, we got it's, we got tiki awesome, torches though. going and it's outside in a farm. Yeah, it's if you want to think of it that way, yeah, it's complete hippie. It's very cool. But it, it but it's a very meaningful experience. Mm-hmm. And it like for the soul. Yeah, actually. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely asking. <laughs> there's I'm a, not the, being snarky. The, the, Honestly, yes. Yeah. There's a, now Kevin and I went through that degree together. Uh-huh. Uh, we received, we both received our master mason degree on the same night on the solstice, the longest day of the year. Mm. Um, so and you can savor it more. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. Um, and the beautiful thing is that the farm that we went to is actually another brother from our lodge, uh, mm. brother Jim Moretti, who was on our show, the Extended Branch. Yeah. Um, he owns the uh, cigar shop in Howell, New Jersey, called Light 'Em Up. And it was a it was a joke because he also like again farm so he's got animals he has a donkey he's got horses all this other stuff so you're in the middle of this degree and things are going on that you can't talk and but all you hear is like horses and chickens and mm-hmm. shit and it's like donkey. It just, and you're teleported back to a time that isn't now right right you know so. Until some asshole cell phone rings and then you're like oh sorry oh, oh, so oh, damn no. it so on that no, 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 on no. that note. Currently, as Worshipful Master, one of the things that I do during especially degree nights is before the degree, degree starts, I make a, a statement saying that if I hear someone's cell phone go off, that's a $25 donation to the lodge. Really? It's oh, yeah. it's it's a, it's a very somber and serious thing. I wish I could enforce that socially. <laughs> I'm tired of – you know a few people who yes. re- cannot keep their phone in their pocket. Yeah. Socially. I'm one of them. I, I'll be and, guilty. Uh, well, you've – yeah. Used to be more reserved about it. Now you're just like, yeah, oh, I'm attached. But yeah, I kind of wish something like that could be instituted just with people socially. There is a, there's a great, yeah. well, yeah, there is a great thing I heard about, which one of our friends who shall remain nameless refused to do, which was everybody puts their cell phone in the middle of the, like when everyone's out to dinner, put mm-hmm. your cell phone face down in a stack in the middle of the table. And the first person who reaches for it pays the bill. That's and I great. said, that's I an like excellent that. yeah. thing. But one of our friends that's would great. not agree to it. We were like, let's oh, all get together. On. Let's hang out. Yeah. Let's just be in the mall. Like everybody, everyone's wives and girlfriends and kids, everybody, they're, they're going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. Unattended for two hours. Yeah. I mean, you guys are all here, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? <laughs> we came out tonight, semi last minute. And um, it's like, yeah, let's just do that. So I love that you're actually making that a rule. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, be it's, here. Be present it's, for this It's for It's this live moment. action theater. The best way I can Ooh. describe it without breaking any kind of code or anything. I'm listening. It's it's live action theater. So mm-hmm. to ruin that moment <clears throat> by having your cell phone go off and we hear the fucking Star Wars theme or some nonsense, yeah. it, you're going to ruin that. Who's Imperial March? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Aside, I heard Imperial March. Aside from, aside from the, the officers that are doing this play, 
you know, the the, the candidates. Like the grown men putting on a play in a, in a fauna farm. Uh, just <laughs> It's the easiest way to see. Am I wrong? Am no, I wrong? No, I know, but, no, but I, I, when, hey. when you're mentioning the Star Wars, I'm thinking of the Peter Griffin one that, who's texting me? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, uh, th- this is becoming more charming than I expected, actually. So, so but yeah, it, so it, go, it, go on. It, it, no, it, it, ruined, it, ru- it would ruin the, the, the solemnity of the moment. Yeah, I know. Big Man. $10 word from me. Look at you. You've broached a topic that I'm passionate about. This is what you get. Apparently, yeah. I'm really like I'm seeing a whole new side of this guy. He's talking about solstice and whatever that other word was. And there's a lot Solemn, going on. Solemnity. Yes, yeah. Too many yep. M's and N's. Solemnity. Um so yeah, that that's that's the whole idea with the solstice. And like I said, Kevin and I went through on the same night during the actual solstice. So what tw- four five 20, years ago now. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So um so a couple things. It's um in case people don't know, it's the oldest fraternal society in the world. Right. Right. It, world. It, it comes it comes from a collection of different philosophies, ideas, you know, influences. It, it's, it grew out of the Renaissance era where, you know, everybody was, you know, being as fraternal as they possibly could be. Mm. Um, and egalitarian and, you know, this this, you know, really just open sharing of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, it, it was very trendy. To know that you could have royalty and people who, you know, work with their hands for for a living and they could be in the same place and be equal to each other. Right. You know, um, so so everything that we, we do is 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 symbolic in a really weird way. Um, but it's it's uh, it's cool. Like I, I remember I remember joining because of my college fraternity. Um, you know, and I was digging and like trying to find as much information as possible. I had a Greek background to it. So like when I um, when I got to a point where I was you know basically badgering one of our our national officers for more information, he was like, "Look, if you're really into this stuff, you need to know that there's more out there, and you need to go look at Freemasonry." And that was from from that point till when I finally joined was like 13 years. Oh wow! So um, it was the right time, and um, and I am definitely in in for the esoterics and not the you know, the pancakes and the, like, I, I get the whole charitable thing and I really, I do support it. And, and I, I think everything that the lodge takes on, you know, civically and everything, it's, it's, it's great, but that's not why I joined. Hmm. Um, and everybody is going to have a little different viewpoint. I mean, some people joined because it was a dinner club back in the forties and fifties. Right. Uh, people are not really doing that now. So you know. I don't know if I'm promised pancakes, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. So, well, at least we all lodge six thirties dinner. So yeah. sometimes, yeah. sometimes. Yeah. So, Listen, you're on pancakes the for dinner. <laughs> Hang on. Sometimes, some, sometimes. I did, I did mm. a couple times. I yeah. enjoyed that this evening, actually. <laughs> you had, did you? Yes. We Good did. for you. Yes. Ah, <laughs> love it. I do love breakfast. Yes. Uh, uh, so what? No, no. no you're, you're you're like. You're, you were looking I for just, something. I was just like, no, 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 I'm like, uh, pancakes. Like, I am. Like my, my brain is All thinking. All you see is the syrup being poured. I'm, I'm thinking about. Oh, I got to. I wonder if IHOPs are back to being open 24 hours because I'm going to leave here tonight <laughs> right. and just go gorge Power myself. Suggestion. I'm going to find the 21 pounds I've lost over the last five months. <laughs> One short stack well, then at he's a time. Definitely not becoming a Freemason. Uh, no. <laughs> but see, the funny thing is, see, I, I listened to the the. What you're describing mm-hmm. as far as the, the, the ceremony of it, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Every, 
every organization has its own kind of ceremony. Right. And it's interesting that I don't know that I could, I mean, I know you in how you don't, <clears throat> excuse me, take certain things seriously. However, you do take this seriously. Mm. But then there's me and I look at this and I think, Oh, no, I don't you, know you, that I could go no, along. No. Yeah, you, exactly. No, you'd be giggling the entire time. Well, I mean, it's the same reason I couldn't no. speak at your wedding. Yes. It, yeah, yeah, pretty much. No. You, uh, as much as you, Ryan, Jack, you know, all the all of our other geez, I'm just cohorts who don't who smash microphones. I don't know. <laughs> For your convenience. I mean, I'm pulling away the microphone or the drink. Pick one. <laughs> um, but I, I, out of out of. That that cohort group, I think, honestly, the only people that I would say would understand or maybe possibly enjoy the moment would be Jack or Jimmy. I can see Jimmy possibly, you know, because <clears throat> because there is that. that yeah, it's aspect. cool. I'll join. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's so lax. He, yeah, no, but I think I think he would enjoy it because he's kind of a. Um, uh, I don't want to say geek, but like, like there's, there's, there definitely is an aspect of storytelling in like a D and D kind of way. And see, Billy, no, now I'm sparking. You're, you're, you're not wrong. What? Oh God. What? What did I hit? No. Okay, fine. Just now. No, 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 please. No, 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 no. Okay, it is not D and D. It's more. It's more of a WoW guild. It's a WoW. Yeah, if there's gonna be a hill that I die on tonight, it's gonna be that. Let's find another. Okay, I'm sorry. Not Dungeons. What do you guys got? Sorry, we don't have classes. And you trust this guy as your leader? Yeah, apparently they do. I'm more comfortable with farm-based male live-action theater. <laughs> this week on farm-based male live-action theater, we present The Solstice, starring worshipful master Andrew Rizzatello, That's a.k.a. It. Diamond Drew. Someone, Diamond Drew? <laughs> That's it. Cut that sound. I'm using that at every lodge meeting. That's every intro. Yeah. Oh, forget, the, forget the openings. We're just using that. Tape 191 with Doc Coyle. Now, one of the biggest moments I imagine for you is when God forbid gets the call to do Ozfest back in, in 04 when you get called up for that. Because you've been you guys have been at it for for years and been touring and making records and getting by, but Ozfest is like, you know, at, at that time was like the tour, you know, to kind of jump on. And now all of a sudden you're playing bigger audiences. You're on this package thing, which is is its own animal, <laughs> you know, traveling package tour. What was that like to get all of a sudden have this opportunity to like, you know, I mean, Ozfest is well established. I mean, that started in 96, 97, I think was the first Ozfest. So at this point, like everybody knows what Ozfest is. And now you guys are picked to do it. What was it like to have that experience to all of a sudden? It was a dream come true. It was, it was yeah. life changing, really, to because our roots were so humble i mean literally i mean we we were we started playing in basements and in vfw halls and really the bands that inspired us early on whether it's metallica or slayer or machine head like it felt mythical they didn't feel like real like we didn't feel like we were connected to that in any way right it was some someone you saw on your screen on mtv or a, D a dvd you bought uh so to kind of slowly make that progression where like i said it almost feels like like in sports right where you're oh, i'm a high school player and so i'm if i'm good in high school then i'm like a local guy but then i go then you go to college and 
hey, man, now everyone's way better. So, so if I'm really good in college, then I'm like really good. And then you go to the big leagues. And if you can be an all star there, then you're like the best of the best. So every step was kind of like, oh, when we were a local band and we, we started actually making an impact there. And that was like, oh, man, we actually we actually did this. We made, we made an impact. And then you're touring. You get a record deal. Now you're that's to me like the college. And you're out there in the underground and you're, you're working way up and you're getting better. And then, and literally being at OzFest, it was the big leagues. I mean, we we're doing shows with literally, it was Slipknot, Slayer, Hatebreed, God forbid, right? That's the top of the heap for the, the genre we, we play. And so being not only there and being able to see it every night and learn from it, but also holding your own was a, an extremely validating experience. And so, like I said, it changed us because we didn't really have great ambitions, I think, before that tour. And then once you're there and you're like, we're around the best of the best, and you go, well, I want what they have. I want to be as good as them. And so, yeah, it was it was, it was was a dream come true. It was the first time we had our own tour bus. It was the first time we had a full crew. So we kind of got to live that rock star kind of fantasy for the first time ever then. To, and to some degree, to, to a bad way, because it kind of spoiled us to like think like that we were on that level and we really weren't, we were just, so it kind of was like too much <laughs> to like, you know, we were, we're, you know, if you're playing with Slayer every day, you start thinking you are Slayer. It's like, no, you're not. You're just, you're right. still God forbid. You still got a lot of work to do. So there's a van waiting for you when you get off this tour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have to exactly. Go and now, so it, like I said, it, it ultimately helped with the, the ambition, but also kind of hurt us in that, we got a little too big for our britches. And I think maybe some of the heads got a little swollen, but it was, it's still something to this day that, you know, it's like John, you know, and devil driver, that's when I became friends with John, like, right. If I don't do that tour, I'm not in the position I am now. So those relationships, those experiences are still pervasive and important and they impact you for forever. Right. And as far as like having those big opportunities, I mean, you did a stint playing with lamb of God and opening for Metallica. When you're playing a venue like Madison Square Garden, I didn't play Madison Square Garden. But you didn't play that show. Oh, okay. I was. I did the first third of the tour. Okay. I went to the Madison Square Garden show, but I didn't. Okay. Well, when you're stepping on stages of that caliber, let's do that. Let me backtrack. Let me just edit all that out. I played many (laughs) arenas on that tour. That's what I'm saying. Like when you're when you're stepping onto stages like that, and at the same time, you know, this is oh nine ish, and yeah, and Lamb of God is established enough that their audience is showing up for the show. It's not everybody there to see Metallica. Like there's a Lamb of God audience coming out to the show. Does that spoil you at a certain point? Like, do you step on stage and just say like, now we're fucking talking. This is what it's about. Or is there a part of you that thinks like, maybe this is a little too big or I'm, I'm playing to the people in the back and this is maybe a larger scale than was comfortable. Like how did playing on that level, even for a little while, even for the first third of a tour, how did that feel? And did it, did it change your perception or, or, your ambitions when it came to like, Oh, this is what it can be at this yeah. level. Well, it, that tour in a way, how Ozfest validated my band doing the lamb of God thing validated me as an individual player where I kind of saw something in myself that I didn't realize was there where I was like, Oh, I could do, I'm not bound by just being in this band that I, I have a skill set that can possibly surpass where I'm, where I'm at. And it was, it it happened to happen at a time where 
things were very fracturous within God forbid my brother had quit. And it was like, I was just in a very dark mental space. And I had a lot of work, mental, emotional work I had to do. I mean, for years after that, for two or three years, I had to kind of figure out who I was and what I wanted and, mm-hmm. and, and exercise a lot of demons and do a lot of personal work. But within that, and so that a lot of that was finding myself as a person, as a 30 year old guy who spent 10 years on the road and kind of didn't know who he was and was so his identity was so wrapped up in what I was doing at the time. And so that goes, and like I said, making those connections with the guys in Metallica and Gojira was on the tour and going, all right, like, like it, it goes, Hey, this is a different level. And it's, this is a cool level to be, but I didn't, I didn't leave that tour and go, don't you know who I am? I'm Mr. I'm, you know, that, that I think would have been not wise to think that I had earned a place uh, at that level without really doing the work and and kind of getting there to where it, but it, but it was great to kind of see how that side lived and see how the professionalism and the, you know, the production and just going, Hey, these are, you know, I might've been on that other tour, but now I'm literally rubbing elbows with the biggest metal band of all time and a band like Lamb of God that, is one of the biggest metal bands around and and one of the best, right? Not just they're big, but they're incredible. Uh, yeah, it just, it, it definitely changes you. And so it inspired me to, I, you know, I started a cover band. I didn't start when I joined a cover band. When I got back home and diversified my playing and started taking more gigs outside of God forbid. And, and so that kind of became the beginning of the second half of my career in many ways. Kate. 156 with Ming Chen. So then how does the show itself actually come about? <laughs> As somebody who who wasn't aware of it, I mean, was aware yeah. of the name and that it existed. How is yeah, it that, so, that the whole thing came so to be? For, so for anybody out there, you know, podcasting right now, you know, here's your little spark of hope because um, the show came about because Walking Dead took off in 2011. Um, it, you know, it, Went from this little zombie show on AMC to, you know, a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. And when AMC, the network, saw that, and they, they, in their minds, uh, you know, they're Walking Dead's based on a comic book. So they're like, holy crap, there are comic book fans out there. There are com- comic fans who will watch a TV show based on a comic book. Let's make more shows based around comic books or that world. And, um, you know, the execs were like, well, that's a great idea. What do you got? Well, they're like, well, we don't got anything. They're like, well, <laughs> who who can we get a good idea from? They're like, well, how about the Kevin Smith? He's, he's king of the nerds. He yeah. He know what to do. He's been talking comic call, books for <laughs> forever. Yeah. In his yeah, movies and him up. on stage. Let, let's get his, uh, let's get his advice. And they, they ended up contacting him. They're like, hey, we're thinking about doing a, some kind of comic book based TV show, you know, off the success of The Walking Dead. Um, you know, maybe we could air it between that long gap between seasons of the walking dead to keep people's interests. Uh, well, you know, is this something that you would want to work on? He's like, no, not really. I'm pretty busy. And they're like, okay, well, it's like, (laughs) then they were like, well, if you did work on a show like this, what would you do? And he was like, you know what, if, if it were me, if it were up to me and I was to do a TV show right now, you know what I would do? I would rip off that TV show Pawn Stars, but instead of them... (laughs) selling you know whatever jewelry or old documents or whatever why don't you put inside of a comic book shop 
and the transactions could be between you know like rare and vintage toys and comic books because that's something I would watch. That's something that's way more interesting to me. Um, and that's a show that I would watch. That's a show that I would make, um, you know, if I had that power. And they were like, congrats, great. You just developed a TV show. <laughs> wow. Board. He was like, well, wait, wait a minute. He's like, yeah. And uh, thanks to yeah, a deficit so they, of ideas, this whole thing came to pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the I, idea, I, like, um, we don't know what we're going to do with this. Uh, do yeah, we know any nerds? Like, well, well, you, I know some nerds. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Kevin was kind of, you know what? Why don't you take a show that's very popular right now and just put it in the comic book world? And um, totally, there's an audience that's being underserved. I mean, people yeah, just beyond so the did. people who, who, I mean, there loads of people didn't know Walking Dead started as a comic book, of course. Yeah. So, yeah. or excuse me, graphic novel. I don't get a yeah. bunch of hate on Twitter for that. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, just the idea that like, no, there are people who actually live this, and with the the with yep. pop culture becoming mainstream culture, or I should say, you know, like uh, comic culture and superheroes working their way into more into pop culture i should say then here's something that like this is an opportunity nobody's taken it's kind of surprising it took until you know 2012 years <laughs> you know for this to actually yeah. come to pass but at yeah, that point but- it was finally once again like you said him being ahead of the curve in a lot of ways oh yeah here's something where oh the culture caught up to something he's been doing and talking about and preaching the gospel about for decades at that point here's the opportunity yeah, totally. And um yeah, so they started kind of developing the show and uh they you know, they were like, "All right, well now, you know, we need a comic book shop and then we need to I guess go around the country and find, you know, three or four guys to be in the show." Oh, they wanted and, to cast uh, it? Oh, man. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah, they didn't yeah, they wanted to cast it. It was you know, this is stage 1, you know, square 1. Right. Like, okay, you have this idea. What do we need? Okay, we need a comic book shop. We need guys to run the shop for the show you know then we need to you know find customers to buy and sell stuff you know that we can find later on right and um so it wasn't us from the beginning they were gonna go find a shop somewhere in america then find you know four dudes in america and to be on the show um but uh as it turned out they're like kevin you know you get to the step i was like okay the network thinks it's a great idea now what i was like okay well, now you have to shoot a pilot episode. You got to make, got to put together like a 15 minute trial episode to show the executives to make sure that, so they can see that this concept will work once you, and then they'll, they'll then they'll give you more money and you can make a season. And um, so they're like, all right. And, and um, so I remember Kevin, he was like, so what's our budget on this thing? And they're like, oh, you know, they gave us $10,000. And he's like, is that a lot? That doesn't sound like a lot. And they're like, no, it's really not a lot of money to shoot something like this. And plus, most of it is going to go to, you know, like a location fee. Like, we're going to have to rent a comic book shop somewhere. Probably give him at least half this budget. Ding. And and he's like, wait a minute. Well, I got a comic book shop. You can shoot there. I won't charge you anything. Just put the money toward the, to into, a, you know, spend the money on making it a good production. Right. And uh, I remember, like, they, I guess they didn't know he had a shop. They are like, dude, why didn't you tell us this, like, three weeks ago <laughs> that you had a shop? They didn't know for whatever reason. Um, and they were like, well, what about, you know, we need we need the comic book men. We need the guys to work the shop. He's like, well, just use the guys that are in there already. I got guy, I got, I've, I've got a staff. I got this guy, Walt. He runs a store. Uh, this Ming, this guy, Ming, he's at the store and he runs my website. You know, Mike, the assistant manager. And then, you know, we got to throw my best, my friend Brian Johnson in there. He'll be real funny too. And they were kind of like, you know, for the pilot, 
uh, you know, even if you have to tell them what to say, just to structure it, um, you know, go for it just to fit your needs for the pilot. But for the most part, they, you know, they, they had scripted a couple of things out, but for the most part, we were just off, you know, ended up being us, being us. Right. You had your dynamic down. a lot of that. Yeah. So they, they shot a, uh, it was about a 15 minute pilot episode, which if you head down to my YouTube account at uh, youtube.com slash Ming Chen, you can see that pilot episode. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. Somebody had leaked it onto YouTube and I just stole it and put it up on my, on my YouTube. So <laughs> just so I could get some traffic. Um, but that's the pilot episode that was shot. Um, it's very bare bones. You can see the skeletons of comic book men. Um, I mean, it's actually not that much different than what you see now. I think the, um, you know, there, there's even a little bit of us at the podcast table and, and the transactions. It's very, you know, it's, it's not that far off from what the, the real show became. Um, but yeah, when the executives saw that, they're like, "Holy crap! This is this is funny. This this will work." And they ordered six episodes, nice, in a first season. And um, yeah, all of a sudden, we were they were like, "All right, we're gonna shoot. You're on a TV show." And it was I don't, um, I, well, first I remember getting the call from Kevin. He's like, "Hey, um, congratulations! You're gonna be on TV." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "They saw that. Remember that pilot episode they shot? Like they loved it. They're gonna they're gonna make six episodes." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> he's really? like yeah yeah yeah. you know we, we start shooting in a month i'm like oh boy <laughs> you know i because I, I have no you know i had no training right I'm not an actor i didn't i you know i i did not have dreams of being on a reality tv show yeah you weren't like you weren't seeking do. this out there are a lot of no, people no, who I, are just I, looking I, for this i sat behind a computer and uploaded kevin's podcast onto itunes you know <laughs> i i changed quantity numbers on a stock list on his online store you know i'm not i'm the it guy i don't act right um but it's yeah but uh, you know i'm up for anything so i'm like all right this is this is cool i get to i think the first thought in my head is like okay this is a, a tv that's that's cool there are a million channels out there maybe somebody will watch it but i think the real first idea in my head is like wow the world is gonna see how screwed up walt flanagan and brian johnson are <laughs> <laughs> or and, and how funny I know because they definitely have a unique brand of humor. Oh yeah! Until Comic Book Man, that only you know us that you know that only we saw, and I was like, man, th I think the world, the rest of the world needs to see this. Oh yeah! So, but uh, coincidentally, um, also when the execs saw that pilot episode, they saw how we interacted. You know, right? Um, right from the minute one, I was getting made fun of. Uh, Brian <laughs> was cracking inappropriate jokes. Walt was being Walt. You know, Mike was being Mike, and um. The executives were pointed over to our podcast episodes and Kevin was like, Hey, you know, you should listen to these. This is how the guys interact in real life. You mm -hmm. know, they have podcast episodes. So the executives took it, uh, uh, listen at a bunch of our podcast episodes and they came back and they were like, wow, these guys are really funny. Um, like the, you know, they were, they were like, this is really just them. There's no script or anything they're like they're was like, no, this, that's just them talking. And the execs were like, wow, if they can be that funny on the podcast on the TV show, they can, if they can be as funny on the TV show as they are on the podcast, we're you know we're gonna get like three or four seasons out of this. Oh, and, that's uh, awesome! You know, we end up we end up getting seven, but yeah, <laughs> they really. I don't think people know how unique that actually is in reality TV. The idea, I really think people do believe that all of that happens organically, and there happen no. to be cameras here. Even the notion of taking a group of people who actually are friends, who have a dynamic, who work together, at least in part, well, at least Walter and Mike technically work together. Yeah. Uh, but the idea of taking people who are actual group of friends, who have this dynamic, who do something together, 
and not casting it because so much of that is, you know, so much of reality TV in particular is very much like we need this type. We need that type. We need that. You you know, you need to fit into a certain archetype. You know, there needs to be a villain, all this other stuff. I mean, even though I guess you could break down, you know, you were kind of the whipping boy. Brian's a smart ass. Walt is the, you know, the. The the businessman who's who's trying right. to run the business and keep everybody yeah. in line. Mike is Mike, kind of the, the 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 expert. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the expert. expert. He's like the chief nerd. And uh, yeah. yeah, like you but, can yeah, kind of break but, it down, but, none, but it wasn't it wasn't contrived. It wasn't something that was put yeah, together. No, no, this existed. Was I was if if you go back and listen to any of the podcast episodes, um, you'll see those guys are uh, um, they're they're more assholes to me in real life than they were on the show, <laughs> which is I know it's for some people it's hard to believe, but well, shows, yeah, the and, show's edited to a degree, so they got the, free the reign on yeah, a podcast. Yeah, the show the show's edited, yeah, on the podcast, yeah. There's no editing. There's no, you know, they say whatever they want. You know, it's even worse on the podcast. Uh, Brian, he's he's a grump and he can be a jerk, but he's funny as hell, man. Yeah, he is, and he's he's so good at making fun of people that it's an art. It's really an art. <laughs> the and original Dale Randall. Walt. That's him. That's Randall. Yeah, he's the original Randall. Yeah, Walt exactly. Is, Walt is Brody. I mean, that's where that stuff comes Walt, from. Is... Yep. Walt is Brody. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so all that, all that was was for the most part, you know, very, very real. Um, I think the only thing we joke about Walt does not t- interact like that with people in real life. Um, uh, he he's much more reserved in real life. I, I guess I should say. Um, he's not you know, as snarky not that, as he is on the he's show. Not like, that, he's not that outgoing on the show, but I think um, I remember him telling us this. He's like, "Hey, I, you know, in order for this to work, like I can't be that standoffish." Um, so he decided to kind of take his cues from Buddy from Cake Boss, you know, animated <laughs> Buddy is right, right. Where where it was like, you know, we made this this cake and it wouldn't fit in the van. What are we gonna do? Like that's where that, and he's like, I got to be more like that if it's this is gonna work. So it's true. Um, yeah, we call it. We we call yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin coined the term. He's like, oh yeah, that's fake Walt. I was like, yeah, I guess it. <laughs> well, is, you so. do. I mean, even even though it's reality TV, and even though it's very much in a, in a real situation in a real store yeah. with with real friends and coworkers and you know real customers in part. Yeah. The the idea is you do have to turn it up a little bit for a performance. I mean, I don't walk around sure. with an announcer voice all day long, but obviously it gets turned up a little bit when I'm right, doing the right, show, right. like right now. Yeah. Um, and same for you. Like when you're on mic, you yeah. do need to bring something extra to it because if you're just going right. to be your usual boring self, nobody's going to listen. So yeah, th- there is I mean, there's a little than, bit of a perform- performance element you have to bring into it. Yeah, I think other than Walt, yeah, I mean, we were it, it was just, it was business as usual. You know, we were doing the same stupid what if scenarios that we would have done had there not been cameras in there. <laughs> um, right. You know, Brian would be making gay jokes at me and Mike's expense, even if, if, whether there are cameras or not, those jokes are coming out of his mouth. <laughs> um, you know, they would probably edit it to be a little more appropriate for basic cable. Yeah. But, Stanis yeah, and Praxis I mean, are like, are the, he can't use that word. No, no, yeah. that's not going out in the broadcast. We're, yeah, we're going to get letters, but, you know, yeah, but it, 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 we really didn't wander that much that far from our true selves, right? Which was nice because I and people, you know, and constantly, even now, people are like, "That show's scripted, right?" Like people wrote those lines for you. I'm like, I don't, I'm not an actor, so I can't memorize lines right. at all. Kevin's too busy; like he can't write all these episodes. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. He's got no he's got chance. jobs to do, you know. Yeah, I'm like, that's really us. And then, um, you know, trying to put words into Brian Johnson's mouth, like trying to script words, it's not going to happen. That guy hates being told what to do, plain and simple. And for him to read off some script that maybe somebody else wrote for him, like that, that would never happen. <laughs> yeah, that's which, again, some people assume, you know, there is that that 
phony element to be yeah a but you know, I, I take that as a compliment that they they think we're so funny that professional some professional writers out there wrote those lines for us right that's a huge compliment Kate 172 with respect the blackout so the name because I bet a lot of people misinterpret exactly what respect the blackout is right. just based on the name. I think we got to go into the from? origin of it. Let's hear about it because yeah. again, a yeah. lot of Honestly, people listen to our, vil- our villain don't origin story. Oh God! Here's <laughs> that drop. <laughs> so what happened is we used to have uh, two more guys on the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to Black, shout out to um, shout out to Taz. Um, before we went into the more modern respect the blackout show, what it was, it was every weekend we would go out, we would get blacked out, and we would come talk about it. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what we were doing. We would go out just either, alone, either alone or separate or together as a group. We would just go and black yeah. out and talk about Drinking what happened. Stories, right. right. Okay. Right. Um, as we move on, we continue to move on. You know, um, life starts to happen. Yep. So <laughs> yeah. some people are, you know, they have more more responsibilities that they can't really come out and, you know, show their what they're living because of their job situation or just in, yeah. in general, yeah. just, just, yeah. just in stuff. Um so it came down to me and him. Uh, luckily, we were able to uh, interview a porn star by the name of Tender Montana um, while all four of us were still together. Okay. And that show was the most popular show that we've had. And that's where the light bell went off. Right. And that's when you- We got we to gotta lean into this. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's when like, it was yeah. like, People oh, want to hear this. People yeah. want to see and get to know adult art actresses because mm-hmm. it's always a fantasy of seeing them and like- interacting with them oh, but absolutely. actually getting to know like what they do on a sunday morning it's a lot interesting Hell, that's where right. they have their own their own only fans right on. like it's like yeah what are you doing like no i'm just painting my toes kind of shit right it's like they're yeah. normal people too exactly exactly yeah, it's like there's the fantasy but then they have lives they're not just living this no all the time <laughs> or, you know they, they live it no yeah or, or, or that you're no, right they are a, uh, some of them are a hundred percent always about that part of life Right. Really? They want to always do it. They're always ready to work. They always want to go to the next step. Right. And I actually, I love that about when you guys have your guests and when you interview, because you make it all about them and you also don't pass judgment, which is a lot of the problem people have. Adult or sex workers or, you know, porn stars, adult entertainers, whatever you want to call them. A lot of times people go in like with their point of view and grill the person about it. Right. But you guys... Just ask them about it. like you guys are just no judgment. Like, tell us about mm-hmm. what it's like, what you do. Oh, you like cosplaying and, you know, all, yeah. all this other stuff. you know, all that. I love that you guys do that because right. you're not coming into it. You're just open. <clears throat> yeah, we like, just had the opportunity it? to interview so many different people. So we had to like, you know, we had to be that way. We had people who pegged guys before. We had right. people who, you know, eat guys. Andrew's ears perked up. Oh, you're in that shit. Here it goes. No. <laughs> You know, he's, he's married, white. Here it comes. Kind of like. I was warned ahead of time. Apparently, I have a target on me right now. I think I should just take this off. I'm sorry, babe. You're a glutton for punishment. You You're the one who keeps. Back. I know. These Fuck. guys are bringing in their own material. I know. Right? I know. Oh, Fucking months straight, I've been in the barrel of this motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you're staying, apparently. Because yeah, I, just, I, I guess I'm a fucking masochist. All right, next, <laughs> next week, stay home. I'll get somebody else to, <laughs> get somebody else somebody to, else to come on. It, yeah. We'll peg him. <laughs> hey. No. Huh? No. That's the pay-per-view. Yeah. I mean, if anything. But I, pay-per-view. Hey, he's guaranteed. Hey, he didn't say he wasn't into it. He just said it's pay-per-view. <laughs> Depends who's doing it. <laughs> Patreon's going to get another tier. <laughs> 
<laughs> we've been there's been a joke on the Patreon. The hundred dollar tier has always been like something different. Who we That's kill? Have to be. Right. Yeah, it's usually who's gonna die first. We did we a dead pool among too much. Among us. Right. And uh, yeah, that might be the next one. Chris, Chris gets pegged. Pick who, well, uh, or pick who gets pegged. That, I think that'd be better. I think we need. Damn it. To, would there be a I, price? There needs would, to be a is there a price to get pegged? Well, be hundred dollars at least. Well, the hundred dollar no, no, no. tier, but oh, for, for you guys, for, for yeah. us, uh, no. Because what we like to do is we not happening. Okay. Stop it. Everybody has a price. Come on, be real. We had this discussion already on the show before. It doesn't. Yeah, ten years ago on the old show. Like no, within the fucking last. six We talked about doing no. All right. So here's the deal. We talked about a couple months ago about like what would if somebody drinking. I still remember this fucking shit. So the but it wasn't about pegging. It was the idea like what if we got asked to do a show like this a couple months ago and everyone's doing like drive in stand up and you know whatever. So I said if we did a podcast and they were like you guys come out, cocks and socks and do the show just standing there naked. $10,000 $10,000 a man guarantee. Would you do it? No. And Andrew's the only one who said no. Cock and socks, $10,000 a man. I just got to. Are you showing my dick is just in a sock? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you like, showing your dick already for free. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you showing your dick already for free. I'm like, the fuck? Might as well put a sock in. Tell me my check, nigga. <laughs> <laughs> What kind of sock you want? What kind of sock you want? A fuzzy one? <laughs> Bomba, <laughs> right? Bombas, because then they'll give it to a poor person. You know, you buy one pair, they get the other pair out for free. Right. So, gotta think charity, man. Charity. Pre-worn socks with dick in them. <laughs> <laughs> a used cock sock will be fine. <laughs> That's gotta go. Someone would buy it. Someone will put, it. Someone right. will f- put that shit on eBay. Somebody's gonna fucking buy it. But that's what that's what I said. I was like, everybody's Marketing. got their price, and he refused to go along with it. I'm like, dude, there's got to be an amount. Man, so, all right, no, you're not even showing your dick is in a sock, right? It does not You think I'm fucking comfortable with this body? You're married. Oh, These are mine, but money talks. <laughs> <laughs> it's ten thousand dollars. And if you got ten thousand dollars, that that makes that weight drop off in people's eyes really right. quick. Smack a bitch with your money. Gr- yeah, you got ten grand in your pocket. I'm a fat bitch. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> See the stack. I'm a ten thousand dollar fat bitch. Uh. <laughs> That wallet. That's what you're saying. You if I actually asked to go to eat, you were doing to do it, right? <laughs> okay. Ten thousand dollars. So for so for pegging, what? What? what Try, no, it, hang on. Not on camera. All right. Not not no, on camera. No. No. Exit only. Exit really? Okay. Get out. Not I, even a lick. I, no, actually. Cape one sixty six with Mike Morano. You can obviously speak from experience on this, but the idea that there's also the sense that you could be more united, that everybody can look at it as like, oh, this is our scene. It's not necessarily everybody's in competition with each other. You can actually, you know, you said you played in different bands just around the city and it seems like it would be more communal. Is that am I right on that? Yeah, I mean, I think even with the population, like a a smaller population, you're going to have that opportunity to say, oh, I know so-and-so over here. You, you, it doesn't take a lot to know a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it just kind of blends together. And there's been a couple of genres here, like different scenes that were kind of blending in together, like whether it's rock or hip hop or moving from like ska to punk, mm-hmm. like there's all of that here. And kind of having like, you know, mini festivals or bills with multiple bands, but like really throwing different genres together. That's happened before, too. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. I think you can get away with that in smaller cities, kind of a, a little bit less of a risk. But, you know, it's also something that you don't have to stick here forever or a small city in that nature, just because of the saturation, 
you know, it's, it, it could be something you check out. Or if you go to another city, just make sure you're kind of traveling. You don't have to live in Nashville, but maybe you make some connections there and you go there like twice a month to try to play some gigs and stuff like that. You know, um, that's another cool thing about St. Louis is that we're pretty centrally located, you know, Memphis, Nashville, Chicago, Kansas City, Tulsa. Like these are all cities that are within four to six hours. Right. Yeah. You're all within striking distance of a lot of cities. Yeah. It's cool to get those vibes, you know. Um, So whether you choose to stay in a city like St. Louis for a certain amount of years or you just kind of plan on hopping around, you know, you can definitely pick up on the benefits of the kind of uh, small city, big town vibes. Right. Right. I love the idea of that. You can, because around here, you know, in New Jersey, there's, there was always the, the Jersey Shore scene. But frankly, like, you know, when I was 16, when I started playing guitar, it was all cover bands. That's all there really were during the summer mm-hmm. was you could play in like a top 40 band, which is fine because in the late 90s and early 2000s, there were still bands on the radio, <laughs> bands that had hit songs that everybody knew. So you can know, you know, 30 songs and then just gig around on weekends playing at, you know, the bars and everything along the shore. But, um, as far as going beyond that, yeah, there was Philly and New York and that's kind of it. You know, not a lot of people were, at least nobody I knew was traveling like all the way up to Boston or going down to DC or something like that. But the idea that you're in proximity to all these other cities, mm-hmm. I, I think that's really, really cool. Cause y- you also kind of can see how much smaller, the world is because I'm sure you cross paths with plenty of people in, in those smaller areas because everybody's kind of hitting the same, the same venues and playing a lot of the same yep. areas, you know? So There's you kind of all see how small the world can be. Where I've played it. Yeah. It's a couple of times where I played in Chicago and there's like musicians from St. Louis, like fellow friends that happened to be in town that were either gigging or had an off night and they come to my gig or I'd go there and we'd like hang out, you know, mm. when we're both done, go to Kingston mines, which is a blues club. That's open to like five in the morning oh, awesome. in Chicago. And just like watch the blues bands when we're both done with our gigs, you know? See, that's fun too, because you're also, you're hanging out with local people, but you're in a different city. So you get to have some mm-hmm. fun checking out some more people and meeting some more acts who like, Hey man, you can come, you know, if they're in Chicago, St. Louis is certainly, in striking distance it's like you need to come down you should come check out this place or you know blah 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 let's you know let's hook up and do a show together or something like that. so the idea that you could even network in all these other cities is pretty incredible um you guys had to do well i should say this you had an album that was supposed to come out in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and you released it anyway which a lot of people were holding back albums last year because and there are still some who have held out and said, we're not putting out this album. It's done, but we're not putting it out till we can tour to support it. You guys put out the album and you had to get a little creative with some of the ways you're going to promote it. Like you guys did a gig essentially on a flatbed driving around the city, right? Yeah. Flatbed trailer was pulled around with a van and we just made three different stops in the city, kind of residential parks and people could post up. We told them where we were going to be mm-hmm. and we would play like a 20 minute set. And then when we were done with the first location, we'd drive like 10 miles an hour, like a mile or two to the next destination. And 
we had people on bikes following us people in <laughs> people in golf carts were following us that was really kind of the the invention of that came from we weren't getting a lot of gigs this was the first time we did it was last june so there were really like no gigs in sight i think we played one live stream gig with no audience mm. we were like at a, a really nice venue in st louis um and it was shot professionally uh, so we were very lucky to do that but as far as like playing in front of people when we did this like trailer concert this moving mobile concert that i want to say is like one of the first times we played in front of a crowd since before the pandemic and it was wildly successful, so successful that we had to do it again in September. <laughs> and we switched the route up a little bit, but it was just still like the same idea. Go to three places, play for 20, 25 minutes, which is nice for like a four hour gig. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. And that, that could be your thing. You guys could be like the traveling <laughs> traveling band. Like, hey, come see yeah. us out front. I mean, at least in part, but as like a as a promotional stunt, even though it was literally like the best way you guys could play a concert, still right. pretty great just to, just to drive around. Um, which is funny. Like one of my favorite bands, the wild hearts did a video in about 94, 95 for their song. I want to go where the people go. And they actually, the, <laughs> they played the song and filmed them driving all around New York city. That's mostly the video. Or I should say a good chunk of the video is them playing the song on a flatbed that's making its way around New York, which I thought was pretty funny. So when you guys did that, I thought, ah, I like that. That's cool. Even though you're kind of making stops in like certain destinations, you're following a route. You're not just circling around that. That's a really smart way to get out there. Did you guys have merch and stuff like that too? Or it was literally just like, Hey, we're the mighty pines. Check us out on Instagram or were you guys doing merch and everything? We had a, we had a friend follow us in a pickup truck. Where we put our merch up, like T-shirts, <laughs> CDs, and stuff like that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, had the new album ready to go for people to buy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, yeah, that was really, really smart. I thought that was a fun idea. Cape One Sixty Two with Militia Vox. When I joined the band, it was like, it was like, fuck, like I literally have like a like tabula rasa it's a clean slate i can do whatever i want and look any kind of way finally i wanted to look and i was like i am going to be like a dead showgirl like that was my look was that was your stage yeah look was dead showgirl yeah i was like i want to look like like a dead gothy showgirl so like i would wear like um i actually my for the first concert that i played i borrowed uh, an outfit from the costume shop at my school. And it was like a nude bodysuit with just rhinestones on the tits and the privates and stuff. And like, it had like um, these big, huge, like almost like sheer wings that you could like throw in the air. Like, and it was all glittery. That'll get some attention and on I, stage. Yeah. And then it was like, you know, I wore fishnets and like goth boots and it was so, or were these like dead butterflies in my hair? It was like kind of fun. But like when I got up there, I just like started moving. Any of the stage fright I had just like fucking was like ripped off of me. Like, and I just like lost my mind. I was like, I have to do this forever. Like, I just felt like free. I felt so free. I was just like, and 
all these people were watching. Like it was like club kids, college kids, my friends. My first gig was at the Middle East in Boston. And it was just such a high where I was like, fuck, I have to figure this out. Like how I can do this more. It just felt like it fit. Like it just felt like the straight jacket was like finally gone, you know? Right. So now you can actually do, I mean, anything because now there's this whole world was opened up to you. So now you can actually go explore. Would you say, does that experience or was there maybe another experience or a moment when you realized I want to be at the front of the stage. I want to be the singer. I want to be the one running the show. Did that come from mm-hmm. this or was there experience an experience that you had where you realized, no, I want to sing. I want to be up front. I think I was always like that because I used to like invite my friends over when I was a kid and I'd be like, okay, we're going to play music video and you're going to be the bass player and you're going to be the drummer and like I'm going to be in the center. And then at this point, we're all going to jump in the air and then we're going to fucking, you know, raise our instruments. And my friends would be like, you were okay. a director, too, from early on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> all that already was telling everyone what to do and like how we were going to look and how, you know, what it was going to be like. But just like being an only child, I used to like stage music performances, not realizing it, but right. I would like put on music and stage like music performances in my room. And I would like stage music videos in my room. And because I was usually by myself, because, you know, the life of an only, it's kind of weird, but I would create an audience. And it was like basically collages of like people that I thought were cool were like in the photo, like they're looking out, you know, so it looked like, you know, it's very like king of comedy kind of. Like, <laughs> <just> like, <laughs> like I would make these huge collages of like people that, I respected and liked like artists and stuff like that and have them like watching me as an audience. Like that's what I used to call it. My audience. I used to put it on the floor, whatever. And then my parents would like open the door and then I would like gather them up and be like, there's nothing to see here. You know, (laughs) Um, I don't need any help. I don't need a doctor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. Just arts and crafts. Leave me alone. Right. But it was always like, it was always something that I was, preparing myself yeah you were you were priming yourself for that moment when you first got on stage in the crazy fishnets yeah with the like it just like it just i just actually pieced that together right now um but yes here's your exclusive everybody (laughs) see this is why (laughs) if you're new to the show this is exactly what you're here for see we got a new side of the story so you're always working your way towards this and it just kind of crystallized in that moment you're on stage you realize oh this is where it's been going it's yeah and it was just kind of a thing where I wanted it so bad, but I didn't know how to do all the things. I th- or I thought maybe it was a thing that, that people knew how to do and I just didn't have the information. So I was playing it by ear. Like, I just, I don't know why I always assumed that like musicians, like they know what they're doing and they know what they want to say, but usually half the time they have no idea what they're doing, Right. <laughs> but they're just trying it out. So most of this shit is just, you know, you're trying it out. And I think once I finally was okay to give myself permission to try things out because, you know, I'm coming from a background where you could not try anything out. Mm. That was not okay. And like mistakes are hidden. Right. You know, it's like, and if you make a mistake, then you're wrong and you're bad and it's not perfect, you know, like that whole thing. So I was definitely um, enjoying like, how perfect the imperfections of live performance Mm -hmm. are. And 
dealing with like stage fuck-ups and like weird gear situations and then you just have to like shit your pants and dive in and swim like all this kind of stuff so like and the liberation that comes from not dying because of it because there's that idea i mean some i mean maybe you disagree some of your if you had any performance anxiety you know when it comes to actually getting on stage and performing in front of people having done that in places like malls then yeah. By the time you got on stage with a band and you realized, oh, this isn't going to kill me, which I feel like everybody kind of goes. I know very few people who just get up on stage to perform for the first time and are just comfortable. I think there's that moment and it maybe it sounds extreme, but when you get up there and things go wrong and you realize you're not going to die, it's OK. You get a yeah. chance to do it again. And most of the time, the audience doesn't know what went wrong anyway, because they weren't in rehearsal. So what do they know? <laughs> so they right. don't know what you intended to do. So for them, they're experiencing it for the first time and just kind of taking it in. It is right. pretty amazing to have that realization of like, oh, it's it's going to be OK. I can do this yeah. again or I know how well, to do it better next time. <laughs> well, there's that. Are you? I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess that uh, music wasn't the only thing you were exposed to during college. Oh. I mean, I'm just well, I think, yeah, I'm guessing well, here was. Here was the thing was like, not the first show or even like the second show, but they're like, as the shows went on, the lifestyle you think is a certain way or you think as a band, you're supposed to do certain things together. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. There was that. But I don't regret any of that, you know, because I just go like, it's just all part of the whole freeing myself process. It's all Um, part of the experience, part of the journey. Yeah, it's all part of the journey, but I also like, I am lusty with life. I want to try as much as possible. I want to feel as much as possible. I want to, you know, experience as much as possible. I'm not the kind of person who, you know, wants to like die without any scars, you know. Kate 191 with Doc Coyle. I kind of know what I want to say. Forgive me if it comes out clunky. (laughs) <laughs> but th- because we're in this moment where people are seeking out diversity mm. and looking for more than just kind of what's in everybody's faces, you know, the people who get the most promotion, all of that, there is more, you know, with um, technology democratizing all of this stuff and making things more shareable. There are people who are going to be seeking out bands like God forbid, just because there's, you know, while it's not as much of an anomaly at the time kind of was, is that something you have feelings about? from where we are now and that that might be something, you know, the, the racial makeup of the band might attract people to them or is it more like whatever gets them to listen and listen to the music. It really doesn't matter. It, even if it's that, that brings them in, it doesn't matter. Like do you have feelings about. Well, I listen, I don't, I don't think that was some grand uh, kind of th- thing that made the band attractive to a certain subset. I th- right. think the difference between, and keep in mind, I think one of the things that, really stood out about what we did was we did not have things sonically in our music that were tied to traditionally black music right mm-hmm. we didn't have hip-hop elements we didn't have an r&b part we didn't have a reggae part mm-hmm. it was it was pretty straightforward metal and a lot of our influences were european bands and scandinavian bands mm-hmm. and pantera i mean as you know kind of white bread as you get right like wearing <laughs> rebel flags on our guitars right so we we so hearing the music and then seeing the band it created a a dichotomy that i think was striking Mm -hmm. because it wasn't about because even like even a band like bad brains had reggae parts even a band like 
uh, Living Color, they're a rock band, but they did have these kind of funk chops and fusion elements and things that we, you would traditionally say, Hey, that's uh, a domain that, that is kind of personified by black culture. And in many ways, so that, that I think that's where it kind of stood out, but I think in hindsight, and this is something, especially doing the show is really understanding the impact we have on the next generation of young people of color coming up and and making them feel okay about their position making inspiring them to go i can be in a band it's not weird it's not uncool and that that legacy is something that has become much more palpable through time and it's like and it's and it's it's weird it's like damn that's that's crazy like like you know people in big bands that'll go i saw you guys and it it made me happy it made me proud you know, right. maybe, well, I can be, and you know, and so that kind of thing. And like I said, I think we're in this weird time where, you know, there's been the Black Lives Matter movement, and there's been the George Floyd thing, and there's all this like just really hyped up stuff around. You know, we're, you know, we're taking uh, statues down. Where it's really, you know, CRT in schools, right? It's like like right. these racial issues are really kind of at peak level. That's got everyone on like defense, right? Like a dog with its ears raised up. And so in a weird way, you have, I think, and that's seeped into every aspect of our culture, right? It's, it's, oh, these people are mad because they're considering a black James Bond, or these people are upset because they don't like the, you know, there's too much diversity in Star Wars, right? There's, there's all these things where, but we're definitive proof that representation actually does matter that when people see themselves uh in these environments it opens the door for the next generation right so when young people see black you know young black people see black panther when they're five six years old that's when they see themselves on screen right that's going to help them feel more comfortable in a society throughout their life you know or when you when there's a black president even though a lot of people might, he might not like him as a president or whatever, it's still that's something that just these things that are almost um, subliminal, right? right? That you don't realize that, no, when you actually kind of give people that, then it does change our perception. So it's this weird thing of going, we kind of want to live in this. Some people want to live in a post-racial society where we kind of mm-hmm. don't talk about these things and go, right. hey, we're all the same and who cares? And it should be about... You know, if we're casting a movie or if we're doing something, it should be about their um, it should be a meritocracy and not be about who is doing it. Like, I, I get all that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't think that stuff's um, without merit, but we're proof that it actually does matter and it does have an effect. And that's kind of a cool thing. And so it's something even to this day, you know, I'm very invested in other black artists in the scene i want to help them and i want to be friends with them and i want to connect with them on that because you know it's you you want to go hey you know i got your back and i'm here and it's in it and it because we're outliers within the black community that's what i don't think people really understand is that there's Mm -hmm. as as much there's as much if not more backlash from the black community whereas i feel like in some ways within you know the, the rock world the metal world which is predominantly white they're they're very welcoming in a lot of ways because they like 
it's like almost exciting for them. Like, yes, come like it's, 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 you know, it's kind of complex, but <laughs> you know, it's uh and there's, 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 a, there's a lot to it, but you know, I think anything that can kind of create that solidarity and kind of drop these ideas about this is black music. This is white music. This is normal. This is not normal. I, I think that's really what I want my kind of charge to be is to like, get get rid of that stuff so it's not so it's it shouldn't be an outlier right it should just be right, hey right. You, li- you like what you like and why should it fucking matter right totally and, and that's one of the things that has been a, a big it's something you've come back to a lot on your podcast with you know conversations with Tosin Abasi and Doug Pinnock and talking about representation and being the outlier and who's accepting and who isn't which you know, the rep- representation part, I think people are understanding that it's important. You know, it's not, you know, even though we're from the same place, my experience growing up completely different from yours in that I'm seeing myself represented in all forms of arts and all that. So it's not something I'm conscious of. It, that's what I said. It's subliminal. It's, it's a right. thing that it's like, is it did even so, for someone like me, I, did I even notice that like the first 10, 12 Marvel movies, it's all white male leads. Right. No, I'm just like, oh, it's Iron Man. It's Thor. It's like you don't even think about it because you're you're just and by, and by the way, that, there's not to be there's something wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's just something that you just if you don't take a time a minute to think about it, you're like, oh, that's kind of crazy. And by the way, same thing with my show. I'm just like, damn, I booked 20 wh- white dudes in a row, not because right. I thought about it because I was like trying to. You just like, oh, just that happens to be who predom- predominantly populates this scene. Right. Right. It, it is what it is. It's not it's not some conspiracy, but so it's just being kind of mindful of those things and going whatever we're putting together. And like I said, I know that that rabbit hole can get really deep and go where you can get, you know, because I have a lot of thoughts, you know, about, you know, Oscar so white. I'm like, really, is that what we're focusing on? Like, you didn't win an Oscar. You're mad. Like, it, it does it like things like that. I feel like it goes too far in the other direction. Hmm. my opinion uh but it doesn't mean it's something that we shouldn't think about and care about and go that it these things do have an impact you know for sure and and i think it's an important conversation to have and i feel like now people are actually listening to that i mean this there's still the the part of me that feels like eh, it might be a little bit of a a dicey subject for me to even approach but at the same time like i want to have the conversation and i want look i recommend people listen to those podcasts of you know the interviews you did with Doug Pinnock and Tosin Abasi and Militia Vox. I mean, you've done a lot of great interviews exploring the diversity and what it's been like to deal in a predominantly white genre of music or one that's been dominated by, you know, a lot of white males specifically. And it's something, but I think it's important that people are like having the conversation. And that's frankly why I wanted to even ask you about it, just because yeah. you know you have a perception of it and being a part of it. Not that that was, you know, that wasn't the mission statement necessarily for God forbid, Um, not as far as you've said that there was any part of it that was just like, we're going to be this to people. But now with the benefit of hindsight and now being, you know, arm's length away from the band now for about eight years, you can look at it and say, okay, there is this legacy. We did play this role. And now people are able to look at us and you're also hearing, you know, you're having the conversations with people and hearing the stories about seeing your band was a big deal. It was really important for me to hear God forbid or see God forbid, or I just got turned on to this where you realize like you, you had this role, which, which was really important to a lot of people. And keep in mind, none of that matters unless you're 
good. Oh, right? yeah. like like so, uh, you know, having because trust me, we, we were not the only uh, kind of mixed band racially, especially in like New York and New Jersey. It was very diverse, especially right. going, playing shows in New York. There was another band locked in a vacancy that was predominantly black and Hispanic me- members. Um, so it was it was it wasn't completely un un uncommon, but ultimately you have to be doing something really dynamic with your music that that people like say because people don't hear with their eyes right so ultimately the, the music has to has to speak for itself and it's interesting you, you mentioned tosin and doug panic because look at that you're, you're talking about a span of like 50 years where doug panic is literally coming up in the music scene when there was literal se- segregation hmm. and tosin now exists Almost like I said, where I, where I think Tosin exists in a way where he is post-racial, where he's so good, it doesn't matter. He could literally be an alien, and I don't think right. it would matter <laughs> because he's pushed the instrument and the art form uh, in such an innovative way. Um, and so to, for, for him to even be able to do that is, in a way, the legacy of a Doug Pinnock, the legacy of a God forbid for him to just exist in this uh, platform. I'm sure that doesn't mean he's not without and hasn't been without challenges, but I think he sure. has superseded that into being his, this own really unique sphere that uh, that he's earned, you know. But it's beautiful to see that the people that re- recognize him from a fan perspective and support him, it's it literally is the racial element is is extraneous, is almost irrelevant, right? Right. And that's that is cool. Yeah, it is. I mean, it feels like he came along at a time, you know, Tosin in particular, where he was just that good that it, it kind of didn't matter. <laughs> you know, he's such yeah. a monster player that it was, even if we weren't in this moment right now where everybody is looking for diversity, he, he would have stood out just on chops alone. Yeah. He's, he's just a monster player. And the way he's pushing, you know, the instrument and playing like eight strings. Do you see what this guy does with eight strings, you know, or whatever it is. I feel like people be looking at him anyway, but it only helps. And it's only going to be another, another step forward where yeah. seeing him on the cover of guitar world, is going to be a lot to a lot of people who maybe haven't picked up the instrument yet, but they're going to see that. And there's something where they're going to know it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Imagine what his impact is going to be because he's way more famous than I ever was or God forbid ever was. And and that's gonna, there's, I'm sure a whole new generation of, of players that are, that are, and that breaks down all these other doors. So totally keep going. The cycle keeps going. Kate, 160 with Pete Morano. Talk shows, you've done a bunch of them and a bunch of them that don't yeah. exist anymore, unfortunately. Um, I mean, Conan's show has evolved into a bit more of a variety show. It's not the traditional kind of talk show format like it was for a really long mm-hmm. time. Uh, right. You played on, on one of my favorites on uh, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Uh, you've you've done oh, a whole yeah, bunch of those. Cool. Yeah, like there. What is that experience like for people who don't? I mean, I've gone to see a bunch of them. I've worked on a handful of talk shows behind the scenes, but um, what is that experience like? I mean, it's it, it can be very produced, and and there there's certainly some rigidity when it comes to you know, understandably, people take their job seriously. But just as far as that experience going in there and have, like you said, all of a sudden there's a camera in your face and there is an audience, but you almost can't see them because you're <laughs> they're drowned out by the lights, a huge lighting rig set up uh, facing you. But um. What is that like? I mean, obviously, it's a different kind. It's not the same as getting on stage in front of an audience that has, you know, paid to see you. But just the whole no, experience of going on, though, and especially because yeah. those shows aren't around anymore. I don't, I'm not looking for dirt or anything, but just the experience. Mm-hmm. 
of doing shows like that? Oh, no, it's... I think I've been pretty fortunate with that stuff because all of all of my experiences with that have been good ones, mm. which was cool. I never had a bad time doing one of those gigs. Nice. Uh, the very first one we did was David Letterman, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, well, I remember that. Especially so when I was a kid, we moved from New York to St. Louis, mm. and I used to... My parents would always watch David Letterman at night, and my mom would kind of refer to it as the news because <laughs> that's where she would, you know, she would, she would, that's where, that's where she would kind of, you know, feel connected to the East Coast and what was going on there. As we're right. watching, you know, because you watch the local news at six o'clock or whatever, and then you know, you watch David Letterman at night. And so I would always, used to, I used to go sit on the floor like at the foot of their bed like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> and watch and Dave. Then, you know, I'd, I'd I'd go in there and watch the top ten or whatever with mm-hmm. them, and then uh, um, so that was actually my first experience doing it, which was which was cool. And um, I mean, it's <laughs> I was so nervous, man. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I was so nervous. I mean, you can see it if like it's probably on YouTube or something somewhere. If you look up, uh, I think I might have it. I think I may have found it through some yeah, questionable think, means. I think it was in- I think it was in 2010. I mean, mm. th- this particular song we were doing, uh, it started with a little guitar thing. And I mean, I'm just terrified. Mm-hmm. Play the thing. The thing sounds all right. Then I'm like, ah, yes, now I'm into it. <laughs> like, but but it was cool. It was I, I enjoy doing things like that because everybody, it was a new experience, but everybody I met there was such a professional. Right. And it was just a well-oiled machine. I mean, these guys have been doing this forever. Not yeah. just David Letterman, but, you know, the camera guys, the sound guys. So everything was very, it's very New York, very to the yeah. minute, very streamlined. You're you going to stand I, over I, here I, on the X. Uh, you're going to come out yeah. here. All yeah. right. You're going to yeah, stand yeah. here. You're going to wait. Dave's going to introduce you. Then you're going to, yeah, the whole yeah, working, like, working class East Coast kind of demeanor. Yeah. Right. And so uh, the... The house bands, you know, Paul Schaefer and them. They, right, and the CBS Orchestra. That's right. That's I couldn't remember the name. That's right. So they. <laughs> as uh, soon as you said that, that somehow that clicked in my head. I haven't thought of that in years, and Dave's like been off for I think six years. The, I like how you said it in the featuring voice. Paul Schaefer. I'm sounding like Don Pardo. That's Saturday Night Live. It's Saturday Night Live. That I can do easily. I don't remember the dude who did it for, for Dave. But anyway, sorry, I'm getting self indulgent now. C- continue. Letterman. That's it. Now you got me doing it. And now. So, um, the original right. Gerber, baby, David Letterman. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I can picture him, but anyway. Well, so, so the so band was there. It, they're, they're, they're playing uh, during the commercial breaks, right? Mm-hmm. And so we are, uh, we're about to go on. They're setting up all our stuff. And if I recall, the performers, you know, the guest performers, the bands, whatever, mm-hmm. They kind of set up in between the desk and the band, right? Right. And so they kind of wheel the stuff, the crew wheels the stuff out there, and they're like, okay, guys, you want to get in place? Um, if you want to, like, if you want to, you know, if you want to give your guitar a whack or something to make sure everything's on, that's cool. Like, maybe try to make it in the same key that the band over here is playing in. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, okay, That'd be nice. And, and it's so, it's fast too. That's the thing. When you see 
It's, you, it's quick. It's, it's quick. Th- yeah. those sh- those shows, even though they pre-record them in the evening, they're pretty much done in real time. So the length of a commercial break oh, is definitely. the length of the setup. Definitely. So it does go very very fast, which is why as a performer, all of a sudden it's just like, okay, get on stage. Here's your mark. Make sure you're in tune. You're good. Oh, okay. No, the whole the whole thing is still done in an hour or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's sure. not like re- relaxed just because it's it's recorded six hours earlier or whatever. It's still like no, it is- that happens in the length of a commercial break. It goes from nothing's on stage to the bands wheeled out in place and ready to play by the time. You know, the countdown begins. It is not a situation where, at least in my experience, it was not a situation where it was like, okay, take as many takes as you need, guys. (laughs) No. And (laughs) also, also, though, thank God, because, I mean, I'm sort of, uh, I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of the type of person where, like, okay, take as much time as you need. It was Mm. like, well, don't tell me that. I'll take all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know what that's like. You tell me we can do this ten times, man. I'm gonna end up. I don't want to do this ten times. Yeah, I'll do it Let's eleven, just, do it. just to be sure. You know, <laughs> I, yeah. I know like, that what? feeling. It's like, and then we have to listen to them all. Oh my god, no. Yeah, <laughs> please, just tell me you need it in three, and I'll get it done. Just <laughs> give yeah, me no so. room. Give me no wiggle room whatsoever. So we go out through this, wheel the stuff out. I go, out, we plug the stuff in, and I notice that Paul Schaefer and the orchestra they're playing "Hey Pocky Way," which mm. is sort of a New Orleans standard. And I'm like, oh, well, this is appropriate. That's cool. And so we're kind of tank, tank, thing, And then we started playing along with them. And then both bands are kind of playing together for a while. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Oh, and then sweet. that really... And so that happened for maybe a minute or so. It wasn't long, but it was just enough to kind of... To calm the nerves, it, to get you... You calm the nerves, to cut the cut the tension it was just like and sync the sync the band up too without having any anything before just going on stage cold uh, just have that minute is helps you lock in with each other and and it's a it was a real um it was a real nice sort of like ah yes like this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing and we're Mm -hmm. doing it great so that was cool um that being said it was like dear god this is my first time playing on tv (laughs) don't uh don't let me screw up the intro to this song right (laughs) I opened no, the went, song. It went well. It went well. And there's, there are other things about it that's different because besides the camera thing, uh, besides the um, energetically, it's uh, energetically, I mean, you've been to enough concerts where sometimes, you know, the, you know, the group you're going to see walking on stage kind of builds the tension. Yeah. You know, the anticipation. The patient. anticipation, yeah, all that. And then, very good. Thanks. Right, so th- that's one way it happens. Or then maybe uh, maybe a show comes out hard, maybe it comes out soft, I don't know. It, it could go either way. But then the the back and forth, the, the exchange of energy happening between the performers and the audience. Right. It goes back and forth and back and forth, and it rises to this thing. Um, on the TV gigs they're uh it's like hey we're getting this done in three minutes starting now so you kind of you kind of gotta mentally mentally spiritually whatever whatever it is you got to do to kind of take it there you got to get there you know and it doesn't um it doesn't happen in the usual uh, it doesn't it, doing a concert is different. It's just different, even though you're playing the same song. Right there, there's a build to it, and there's an mm-hmm. arc to doing a show. Whereas when you're going in right. and out and just doing a three minute song in between, it's you just yeah. have to lo- you just have to do it, 
and you know there's no yeah, warm up sure. there's no easing into it which is why at least having that minute and granted I haven't performed on stage in you know that's literally a lifetime since I've done that but the idea of at least having that minute to kind of just sync up with each other and just have the band lock in and to get you loose is that can make all the difference so just the fact you guys had that minute is very like okay I can do this because at least you know you're in your headspace. You're like, okay, this feel because it, it it needs to feel normal for a second. And I realize going into doing a, a TV show is you know kind of a, an alien experience. You know, it's something you hadn't done before at that time. So it's like just having that moment that just had to be a huge relief. Where it's just like, okay, this is what I do. I can handle this. This is it's just another gig. I mean, as much as you can tell yourself mentally, it's different to just feel it when all of a sudden it's just like, okay, now I'm playing and now it's. Now it's normal. Yeah, it was this just, is what it's supposed to feel cool. like. It was just right. cool. It was like, ah oh, man, it was like this is like it was just a feeling of like, ah yes, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing on this on this particular right. day of life. It feels right. Was there forgive me for sounding like an old hippie, were there did you feel any vibes or any any spirit or anything being in the Ed Sullivan Theater? I mean, just because all the bands, I mean certainly the Beatles and you know, countless others. Who oh, played no, on that stage? No, no, was it, it was yes. There was the, I mean, for me, it was. Uh, I mean, those vibes were certainly there. I think the, um, you know, the 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 connection that I described a little while ago about just kind of like, wow, this was the, this was one of these shows that I actually watched regularly, right. You know, I didn't. Well, you can't watch them all regularly. They all come out at the same time, right? Yeah. Once upon a time, you had to be. You had to pick one or the other. Yeah. Oh, it's so it's so <laughs> funny too, man. Everybody, everybody, like like people people go play on one of those shows, then then they start watching it. I yeah, exactly. Know. It's like I, I like that, that no, guy. I would do that. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm you know, after I saw you out in California that one time, it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna watch Conan for a week and now, hey, right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you're yeah. doing someone he, else's he show. He was cool though. I liked him. He's I've I've crossed paths with him a few times. I've never interacted with him. I've interacted with Andy Richter a bunch of times. It was super nice. Couldn't be nicer if he tried. And um and I mean that's a compliment. That sounds backhanded, but I actually mean like as right. nice as possible. Um Craig Ferguson, I, I've had the chance to talk to a couple of times. He's awesome. Um I didn't know because that show I've I've been as a, an audience member, been to see that show tape a bunch of times. I don't know if he ever was able to make it backstage. I don't know if that's part of his routine that he was able to come back and greet you or anything before the show. I know some hosts can do that. Fallon, I know, does that. Typically, um, go back before I, they start uh, shooting. I spoke to him very briefly before the uh, mm-hmm. before the show. Um, uh, Letterman went and uh, talked to everybody afterwards, like immediately right. afterwards. Like, you see that. On, um, yeah, how are you? Great show. Yeah, Great. Yeah, exactly. yeah, he comes and does and the handshake and everything. The voice is good. Thanks, man. No, That's the stuff I work on when I'm home alone. Right, <laughs> like I got to get a David Letterman impression because that's current. There you go. Hey. <laughs> I'm totally no, gonna get a call for a David Letterman. You know, five years after he's off the air. Cape 190 with Zuzu Mansoor. Have you come up against? I guess there's kind of two parts to this. Um, guys who don't want to play in a chick band. And I'm doing that in air quotes for anybody listening who wants to, you know, tweet at me. Don't do it. Um, or when it comes to getting booked, like, oh, it's, oh, no, we don't want a female fronted band or a band with, you know, two women or something like that. Is that something that you've come up against at all? Cause I don't think people realize we're not that far out of the woods with things like that. And this is very much, 
still a thing or has been a recent thing, both when it comes to getting booked and when it comes to, you know, having a rotation of BAM members where people come in, people leave and, you know, finding the right person. Has, is that something you've you've come up against in recently, certainly think, in the history of the band? Yeah. Oh, definitely in the history of the band. And there's different personalities take a female leader differently. Mm. Um I would say more more of it's come inside a band than outside. I mean, it's pretty obvious when people are like, you know, I don't I've had women actually women say to me, I don't like chick fronted bands. <laughs> wow. And I, I'm like, that is, is so insulting to me because you're insulting yourself on so many levels. Yeah. And it's not even that I think you're ignorant. I just think, why would you take who you are? And mm-hmm. put it into a classification of things that you don't like. Right. Before you even hear it. You and, know, and, even and, if I hear somebody come up to me and go, like, I typically don't like chick-fronted bands. I'm like, first of all, <laughs> wow. um, why? Are you mm-hmm. listening or are you just looking? Or do you think people are just looking so that's why you don't like them? Right. So, like, go beyond, like, I don't like that. Like, to me, closed-mindedness or I've decided this and that's it, that's so – um not just insulting to me, but I feel like you're just, you've reached a plateau in your life and you're completely okay with that. Yeah. Like if you're saying that to me, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I, I don't care. Like go ahead and <laughs> right. say, yeah, I've had a lot of things. I've been booed off stages, like straight up. I, I've i lasted through all that. You know, I've been a terrible singer. I've been, I've been a great singer. I've, I've, I've had a great voice, but I've been sick and sang on a sick voice. Didn't sing great. I've had horrible shows, great shows. I'm going to keep doing what I do. And I believe in myself, female, male, whatever. But I, I, I do like when people empower, um, use that as an empowerment. I don't think that's the same thing. I think, um, there are people that champion female fronted acts, um, in the sense that they are saying they're no different musically if you like a band like that. And there's people that just like female fronted acts mm. and that's fine too. Um, but I think mostly there is this one thing I have encountered for sure is this idea that they think that we think it's going to be done for us. Mm. I think that's the most damaging soul sucking part of what I've run into. Cause I just go like, do you even know? how hard I work to make, like, I'm not trying to prove it to anybody. I'm going to do it because I want to do it. Right. But I just go like, nothing's been given to me. Like anybody that invested in my band, like even when I was telling you the stories about Steven or about like West Scanlon, those people didn't see me. Mm-hmm. They heard that voice in that band first. And it wasn't just my voice they heard. They heard the band. Like they heard the style, the tones the guys picked. You know what I mean? Like, Travis is a, a ridiculous songwriter and knows how to pick tones on guitar and and bass and drums. He's a sound guy. He's an arrangement guy. It's like all of that together made you attracted to it. So when you denigrate us to the point of who, what gender is in a band, or you're going to judge us and put us in a box as soon as you see us, who are you really insulting? Me? Right. Not really. You're, you're just showing your yourself. true colors. I mean, even when it comes to women yeah. who don't want to be in a band with other women, it's like, why would you... I mean, look, I don't understand what it's like to be a woman, but it feels like, why would you tokenize yourself in that way? Like you just want to be the yeah. one female because that's what you want to stand out for yeah. in a band. I mean, yeah. cause I've, you know, I've, I've played in bands with different combinations and, you know, with, with going to, to music school, you know, came across, you know, 
men and women in all roles and bands. And it is something that I find, I don't really understand that that approach either. I just think, it, well, it's whoever can play or whoever can sing, whoever can do the job. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, it sh- that's what should count, especially if this is something you've chosen as a career. You're not playing, you know, you're not playing singer in this, you know, you, you do the job, you do the work and you've been at it for so long. So it's not the idea of it being about, you know, some image or some, you know, a contrived, you know, girl power kind of approach to it. It's you, you would think everybody would want to lift each other up and support each other and that those things would matter. But it's, it's funny, not funny, haha, funny, sad, frankly, that we're still kind of, we're still dealing with a lot of that. And it's, you know, the, the more I've seen, it's, it's kind of surprising. I mean, frankly, for me in 2021, the biggest, the bands that have drawn me in the most or the arts that draw me in most have been all female. They've been like Soraya. They've been like Jesse Wagner, who you duetted with on a, on excellent B side and, um, you know, Jackie Venson. And there's a lot of artists who are female who I've, they're the ones who've just done it for me this year. I'm yeah. sure there are great, you know, male, male fronted bands that I haven't heard, but this year that's just. That's just where I'm like, this is what I was looking for. And I found it, you know, this is what I'm into and I want more of it. And, um, it's interesting though. There still seem to be those kind of lines and there's still that perception, even when it comes to rock music. I mean, I don't feel like, again, we're not really out of the woods where it's like, you know, not really ready to accept like a female fronted band. And that's why, you know, sorry to get off on a little bit of a soapbox. This is my turn to talk. No, I'm kidding. But the idea, like I get how role models, you know, and I don't think people have as much of an appreciation for this, but where we're in, we're in this moment where representation is important. Yeah. It was important to have Chrissy Hind and Joan Jett and Stevie Nicks and all these women out there in a male dominated field during that time, especially where of course that had a huge influence. I'm sure you're influencing young women in the same way. I'm sure you've had those conversations where they've come up to you after shows. It's like, you know, you know, there were plenty of um, like where I'm going to make you a star. Like I'm going to, I'm sure I'm going to, like, you're not going to make me anything, honey. But (laughs) at the time I believed it, you know, I was, I didn't have a formed sense of self enough Mm. to like think that I, I was, I'm supposed to do this. It has nothing to do with anyone else. Like right. people will come that are supposed to, but you're going to make me something and you believe them because they're already there themselves. But like, um, then you, you start to see the, the, the thread pulling out of that one. But I think part of it for me is I watched, um, the documentary, um, bad reputation, which I don't know if you've seen. I, it's been it's in my queue a, forever. I do need to watch it. I think it's on Hulu. Oh, you should right watch now. It only because I have the to. things they do and the runaways are ridiculous. Like, they were just, they had batteries thrown at them. Mm. Like they had broken bones, batteries being thrown at them. They were called, oh, they're really cute. And then the next week they'd be called sluts. Right. You know, oh, the, I watched the Go-Go's documentary. Like, it was kind of the same thing. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. That was excellent. Yeah, I, and, did. I watched both of those. And, yeah. and it's to me, like, so if those women could do that, like, and they paved the way, to, I don't hear that now. Like I don't right. hear, I hear some things, but, but it's not like they did. So I'll deal with this because then the next generation that comes up isn't going to have to deal with that. You know what I mean? Right. And at some point it'll, it'll all equal out, I think. But but like those women, even like the Allison Moss hearts of the world, the kills and she was in dead weather. Like they don't they're not afraid to be sexy in a badass way. Like you can be sexy without bearing every you know thing mm-hmm. or you can bear it if you feel like it. Like one of the things I thought of, like the last show that you were at, I was like, I feel like dressing like this. Like I have a freedom mm-hmm. to dress how I want. Unless I'm so lost in 
what I think they want to see, mm-hmm. right? And that's not the artist I want to be. I want to do what I want to do. So I'm going to dress how I want to dress. And I, and that came from those women who did that. Like Joan always wore that black and with the black hair. And then mm-hmm. then uh, you see Chrissy in all different ways. Alison Mosshart, all different ways. Like, you know what I mean? I've seen that her live and just like a long white t-shirt and some pants. Like, it's just like, but it's not about that. It's some, the way she wears it, you know? Right. So it's like- right. I think there's such power in that, like with women, especially I see that with women more so than with male fronted acts. Cause like, you know, I see more genre specific there, but with women, I go like, there's some women, they just dress different every, like look at Lady Gaga. Like she's always different. Right. I love that. Like that, that allows other women to know they can do that. Whether, or they might be like, who is she to, well, let them say that. But then there's women who are going to be like empowered and freed up from that. And that's, that's, I think also what an artist can do, you know? It's free up. So that's my job too. Like I have to be myself so other people can do that. For know? sure. Oh, Not to put like myself because like we're still just artists, but but like the idea that if I can do that, it kind of makes people free to do it too. Kate 175 with comics, cartoons, and craft beers. Chris Abalo. <laughs> yes, sir. Chris Abalo. I would like to ask you something. What what Whose show you- is this? Okay, I don't know. Ahead, what, what, I'm not sure. It's a crossover. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't answer shit on your podcast. We just made a bunch of really, we made a bunch of crazy jokes. So what, what made ahead. you want to do a podcast? What made you bring, you know, as people what made, very new into it. Gotcha. We're yeah, going to pick yeah. your brain on okay. podcast oh, yeah. for this All right. entire rest Fine. of the hour. Let's go. I'm Chris Abalo and welcome to my masterclass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so honestly. Okay. So the, the short version is, and look, we do have, a, I, I will go over this. If you've heard the story before down the years or in various bits and pieces over the episodes, then I'm going to give a fuller version of the story here because we have a lot of new followers, a lot of new subscribers with now the show being on all the apps and a a noticeable increase in the audience. So if you don't know, here's a uh, probably not brief enough version of the story. So (laughs) my friends and I in 2008, it was after um, my first two years in L.A., graduated school, moved back here to Jersey. We started getting together for dinner at uh, my friend Andrew's house. And that's where I met. Also, uh, Ryan, two guys who are regularly on this show. And the idea was just, well, we all want to hang out anyway. Let's get together and just cook dinner because we'd be going out to dinner and sitting in a booth and whatever anyway. And um, his parents had a finished basement with like a bar and everything. So we'd cook dinner in the kitchen and hang out. And we, our girlfriends were there. And we kind of rotate like one week. The guys would cook. Next week, the girls would cook. And it was it was just a way of like hanging out. Every Wednesday night, we did that for months. And we also just had our rhythm like Ryan and Andrew and myself had this, and that's kind of the best way I can describe it, like this rhythm with our conversation. And we always try to one up each other with, you know, by saying funny shit and, you know, everything else and obviously trying to make the ladies laugh. And we would do this when we go out at restaurants or when we'd be checking out in line somewhere. And you guys know the difference between the polite laugh and the genuine laugh. Right. There are plenty of of servers <laughs> be gender neutral about it. Plenty, plenty of servers who will be like, huh, and give you the polite laugh Customer or polite service smile. voice. Yeah, nine, exactly. Like, oh my God. And, uh, but you know when it's genuine, like when you're really right. making somebody laugh. Right. So we would do that just by being ourselves. And we kept saying, we got to do something about this. What should we do? You know, we should figure something out. The whole thing was we initially said, like, we should make a movie. Well, nobody had the discipline to sit down and write a movie at the time because we were all in our mid to late 20s and we were just like, uh, how do you even make a movie? Kind of thing. But, um, now, in 2008, podcasts weren't nearly that prevalent. The only original podcast I listened to was Smodcast, Kevin Smith's podcast. Hmm. Like, I heard 
different things like radio shows that were then podcasted in like a, you know kind of abridged versions of they the broadcast. They didn't make it to XM; they went to podcast. Pretty much, yeah. Um, at that time, yeah. And I said, maybe we should do a podcast. Maybe that's something we should look into. So we talked about it for a long time. Finally, in 2010, we bought like a mixer, like a legit like recording, like small version of a studio mixer, karaoke microphones, and learned how to work it, and then just started recording June 30th of 2010. So we just passed the uh, 11-year anniversary of recording our first two episodes so of the only Christ. podcast that matters. So that is, what, that, is, that is wild. That is a huge mm-hmm. milestone. Mm-hmm. 11 years of recording. So much. Yeah. Yeah. On and off. There have been breaks, particularly in Cape in between. Oh, at some various it. times. But I but Eleven years of recording. I also want to hear the sure. original soundboard that definitely has all the drops that you guys made. You guys actually, sweet to you. That was that was prior I, to. I know you have some <laughs> sick sound drops. We don't actually because uh, that, that was prior. Probably we got you in trouble if you played them now. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> well, no, we actually did because this is before all that stuff. I mean, if you would like a. I mean, now you can get that stuff, or frankly, you just program it in your phone. You can just have a soundboard and and just queue up different sounds and music and things like that, Mm -hmm. which is fun. But at the time, it was just four friends in a room in what later became Andrew's apartment, and we just talked for an hour. We'd pick a subject. Whatever the subject was, was the title of the show. Mm -hmm. So it was the first episode was first cast, because it was the first one. The (laughs) second one, we talked about astrology, astrocast. Food cast, TV cast, film cast, you name it. Like, that was the theme. And after the first year, I said, do you guys want to maybe not Call the show Noun Cast. Right. Should we maybe like drop that theme? They're like, no, it's Although funny. We should keep na- it. Noun Cast sounds like a decent. That's a title podcast. that's that's yeah. still sitting in the hopper that we never used. We did Just make it a title of a. Podcast. We called an episode noun cast. that cast because I thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an episode called that cast, which is a really funny episode. Well, yeah, this is where the one we utilize did... the Inception sound. Actually, that was our one thing. <laughs> but we had a microphone because there was only three of us. We put a microphone in front of the computer speakers. I was literally hitting the space bar to queue up. <laughs> <laughs> this was super low tech in 2011 everybody we had to figure it out like this is yeah, diy like, to the nth degree it's like these guys these guys were posting on godaddy in 2010 we, we bought our site on when godaddy Danica patrick w- and that other it, chick from it, that it's like it's like these guys in- these guys were doing it before <laughs> it was it was a popular thing before right. it was a, a real thing before yeah uh, they were a part of the first wave, you know. Yeah, along, along with um, yeah, Ming 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 Chen and everyone yeah. else. Yeah, you know, they, the big they, shows in the in, first ideas also launched in, in 2010. Funnily enough, if I'm remembering this correctly, I may be wrong, but I believe in like February ish 2010 was when Nerdist started, mm. and I oh, think it was the beginning. Yeah. Yes, and I think yeah. it was the beginning of 2010, maybe the tail end of 2009 when WTF with Mark Maron started. I think oh, you guys were so, so like good. two or three years behind Smodcast. Uh, Smodcast was 07. Yeah. So, yeah, we were just three years, a little over three years. But we that, spent the that, summer. That's 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 right on the cusp. You, you guys are like on the fucking bleeding pulse of this podcast thing, man. I mean, like, we, you, we you were out there beforehand. You know, it's interesting because. We and, and we debated about the title and I came up with the title, The Only Podcast That Matters, because yeah. I just said, let's just put it out there. Yeah. We're just going to call this The Only Podcast That Matters. And everybody was just completely on board. <laughs> and I will never come up. Listen, Chris Abala's. That is a great fucking title. Chris Abala's podcast experiment will always be the second best title I ever came up with. OK, The Only Podcast That Matters doesn't get any better than that. It's a shame it was wasted on that show. Just <laughs> kidding, guys. Just kidding. <laughs> but fuck you. Um, we, <laughs> yeah, fuck you other guys. I'm doing my own show now. <laughs> but uh, it was like we didn't. 
we didn't know how to approach it and we weren't like performers comedians anything like that i mean i was andrew and i were playing a band together at the time but like nobody had like a public profile like we weren't doing something else and everybody who had a podcast at least at that point like chris hardwick was on tv and was doing comedy uh mark maron had done radio and been doing comedy forever kevin smith mark, kevin smith mark maron so, blew up so much on wtf he had obama he did like, holy shit yeah he got a while he was in office got, yeah which is a big 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 deal which you, you guys were like the first underground podcast available yes like like there were podcasts but there was like there was like smodcast and there was right. like a couple famous comedians and there was you guys well back in 2010. only only because you're saying it I will say, I guess we probably were in the way that we were consistent because we did for four years before yeah. kind of putting the show to bed temporarily, which we knew was temporary. Like, at the was time. the term podcast even popular at the time? Yeah, you know, oh, it, oh. it was wow. um, because the at the time, the only place you can put your show out was on iTunes. OK, I mean, you could go to somebody's website and download it manually, which is how I got Smodcast initially. And especially because they got killed. Right, what they the, eventually the, did the was ideal of was, distributing podcasts. It like, was just it, iTunes was your only option. If you weren't on option, if you weren't on iTunes, excuse me, then uh, you you just couldn't be found. Like right. to be found, you had to be on iTunes. Right. And Ro Rogan didn't start until 2009. Right. So which is the, the distinction I draw. And I don't mean. Look, there's no way I can compare with those guys in any right. sense. Right, he had a uh, full I mean, blooming but, come on, audience but beforehand. The three, come on. But, but for the three him of to those jump shows, on that and take credit for he he don't, does. Don't compare any of us with Rogan. Yeah. No, no, no. no. I'm stop. saying as somebody who takes credit for the podcast boom, mm -hmm. it's for th it's four thousand percent Joe Rogan. But for him to do it so late as 2009, mm -hmm. so many huge podcasts were out well before that. Yeah. yeah, well, before but what helps? Enter, enter the night what was a what was right. a huge help for Joe Rogan, for Mark Maron, and I'm and for Nerdist, and I'm not shitting on anybody here, mm -hmm. but they're guest oriented shows, so they're bringing right. in people every week at somebody who has an audience. Yeah, right. And That's our show was just a group folk. of exactly. Right. So Dude. people are going to come in because it's like I like Pat Oswalt, so I will mm -hmm. listen to this episode of WTF. Oh, the host is funny. I will subscribe and continue checking out the show. And same with Joe Rogan. Like, Joe Rogan's Chris, the least Chris, interesting part of the Joe Rogan experience. I can't believe that we're the first podcast to have you on cross-promotion. Right. You guys are the I first, cannot first ones to ask. Yeah. believe it. The first to ask. And finally, Kate173 with Mike Zapsik. You, James Bader, Poughkeepsie, go. Excellent. All right. This is fantastic. This was my culinary uh, school days. It was, I was winding down a culinary school and uh, me and my, my best buddy up there, Mikey Quinn, uh, we were partners in a lot of stuff. We, we were, uh, you know, in the chef side. And when you're at the end of your tenure at culinary school, mm -hmm. you go into the, the big, uh, the big four. Uh, which are the Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer. Oh, I sorry. love it. Different one. No, they're the student-run restaurants. Mm. So we were doing double. You do double duty for the first two weeks of that block, or the first week and a half of that block. The three-week blocks. First week and a half of the block, you're either in the kitchen or you're out on the floor, and then you flip-flop. Also, it's like boot camp. Yes, exactly. So um, Mikey Quinn and I were fast friends, and. Um, we used to go out drinking. <laughs> You're kidding. No. So we would go out to the uh, the bars. There was uh, right across the the way from Culinary Institute. We had an on-campus bar which served wine and beer. 
And that was not good enough for us. And there were only – at that time, the ratio of men to women was 14 to 1. 14 men to every woman. Wow. Yes. Wow. And – A lot of dudes went into culinary school thinking, yes, like, I'm going to clean up. Not no, so. not, not, not so. even a little bit. If um, you like dudes, you will. But, um, and, and, and that's a maybe. That's a they, big maybe. They, they had a they, – they, that was one of the, the check marks on there. So there weren't. Yeah, ju- just so you know. Yeah, don't ask, don't tell. Really? But um, <laughs> so we had a, a place across. It was called the Fireside, but we used to call it the Wrinkle Room because older ladies <laughs> would go there to pick up gentlemen calls. Young yes, chefs. Young chefs. Or, That's where and, the ratio got a little more. That's yeah. why it's 14 for 14. <laughs> but I'm in Poughkeepsie. So there's Marist College, there's Vassar, mm-hmm. there's uh, SUNY New Paltz across the way. And uh, a couple of other schools in that general vicinity. So there were a lot of college students. So we ended up going to this place called Shooters. Now, Shooters was, it was like a dive bar, but a little upscale dive bar. <laughs> so we ended up there and uh, Mikey and I were drinking and we're at the bar. And who do we bump into? James Bader. He's up there filming, I think it's White Castles. Is that the name of White uh, Palace? White Palace. That's it. He was filming White Palace at the time, and we're like, I was like, "Oh my God, it's you!" And uh, so we started. We, we were drinking and we were getting along famously. Mm-hmm. Great guy, uh, and <laughs> and what a fantastic! He really was a really genuine guy. I mm-hmm. I was like, dude, we could be friends. And Mikey Quinn right. thought the same thing. So he's like, "All right, where are the college girls?" And we're like, where are they're at yeah. a college bar? Because Shooters was more of a townie bar. It was a mm. dive townie bar. We're like, there's a place, um, you know, let's grab a cab. And he's like, I've got, I've got my rental. So um, we get into his rental and I get in the back seat and I sit down and I'm, I, I sat on a bottle of champagne. I'm like, well, look, I found a bottle of champagne. And I'm just drunk. I like en- drinking. No, I'm, I'm just drunk enough to think, finders keepers. All right. So I put it inside my jacket. And um, I'm like, uh, and in in normal circumstances, I'm just about the most honest guy you'll ever meet. But you throw alcohol into me. I'm like, this ain't, this is not nailed down. And boom, you know. Um, so we go. And we go into this bar. And it's uh, called um, Across the Tracks. Mm. So perfect. Uh, and it's we, – we drive there and we're there. And we go inside and we all split up. So he's over Cover there. terrain. We did, yeah. And Mikey's <laughs> over there and I'm over there. And I'm in a booth with these – don't ask me how the fuck this happened within 10 minutes. But I'm in a booth um, – with these three co-eds and Mikey's having some success over by the bar and James is over wherever the hell he is. I'm like, who wants champagne? And I pull it out. <laughs> and now you've been to college bars. Sure. There, it's a fucking cacophony out there. Mm. So I'm like, all right. And I pop the bottle and whose spader sense goes off. <laughs> He's, he comes over. He's like, "That's my fucking champagne." I'm like, "No, it's mine." I, I and yeah, I found it in yeah. your car. But I found, <laughs> it. I found it. And he's like trying to like smack me around. And the girls are like, "Let's get the hell out of here." That's James Spader, and he's trying to attack that guy who's going to give us free champagne. <laughs> and then the bouncers come over, and they're like, "Did you buy that champagne here?" 
you can't bring booze in here. So they throw us out. And I'm like, how the fuck are we getting home? And Mikey Quinn, who was like on my side, he's like, I will fucking kick your ass, Bader. And um, I- I'm like, how are we getting home? He's like, we're walking. And he's like, you're such a dildo. And he's like, you're my <laughs> Wait, boy. Did, did you get the bottle out of no, the bar they, with you? No, or they, they took it. Jacked it. They <sighs> jacked it from us. But we were drunk enough. I mean, for fuck's sake. But we had to walk six miles back to <laughs> oh, campus. <shit>. And <laughs> yeah, it was um, yeah not my proudest moment. And for years after that, I was like, James Spader sucks, <laughs> douchebag. But he doesn't. He it was completely my fault. Mm-hmm. And I've I've said on many a podcast that if I could make amends to the man right now, you know, it's part of the. I, I think it's, it's part of those that step in program. Uh, I I would. More than happily, uh, I don't know that he drinks anymore. I'm not quite sure. I don't think he does. But um, I cannot confirm or deny. I, but he was, I know I know a bunch of people who did meet him at different events. I've never actually met him. I would love to because uh, yeah, he seems like that dude. Like yeah. I've I've heard nothing but good things, which is why the bits and pieces I heard of this story caught me as so funny. But also, this is like near 30 years ago. So oh yeah, of course. So there's that. Like, I know. My, and White Palace was like 92. Exactly. So I, I, <laughs> it's been I would, a little while. I'd buy him a bottle of champagne or if he wanted a like, crate of champagne uh, yeah, or, just to make nice. Because yeah. you don't want that phone call. Mr. Zapsick, this is Raymond Redding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as in, I'm the I concierge understand. of crime. <laughs> I understand you stole a bottle of champagne from a friend of mine. <laughs> yes, I don't get exactly. to bust out that impression very often. Yeah, no, so, what better a time? I like it very much. As a matter of fact, I uh, the guy who plays um, uh, Mor- Moram, um, the uh, the nerdy. Oh Jesus FBI Christ! Guy. I I'm drawing a blank. I have not caught any of this season. I love that's one of the few broadcast networks. The guy who plays the nerdy. Oh my God! Um, nerdy Aram. FBI agent Aram. Yes. Yes. Aram. I met him, and I said, "I've got a story for you." He's like. <laughs> He's like, if you have disrespected Mr. Spader, and he called him, him Mr. Spader, Ooh. I'm like, um, I, I cannot. He's like the Don. I, yeah, he's like, <laughs> I, I, I can't take that story back to him. I wow. cannot. I cannot. And, like, and also, I can't party with you. Good night. Yes. It, it was a pleasure meeting you. Your life has ended. Um, uh, yeah. so, he knows where you are now. Uh, I've got a like chip were, right here. You were excommunicated from show business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, holy shit. And uh, yeah, Ming was like, yeah, holy shit, you fought Ultron. You beat Ultron before, <laughs> you beat Ultron before the Avengers did. I was like, oh, no. Uh, no, really. Ultron won. Ultron yeah. stayed in the bar with all the college uh, girls. Yeah, Ultron. My drunk ass walked six miles home. Yeah, my, so I wouldn't say I won. With Mikey Quinn, it was like kicking me in the ass every, every yeah, mile and a like, half. Yeah, like, you fucking idiot. Yeah, piece of shit. We were hanging out with Blaine or whatever his you know names were in the 80s. And uh, all all been, those high school movies. Could have been anything. And there it is, volume two of the best of 2021. It's been a hell of a year. And since this is the last time I'm going to be talking to you for a little bit, I sincerely would like to say thank you for listening and following and liking and sharing and subscribing and all of it. It really does mean a lot to me. I want to thank everybody who's been a part of the show in 2021. I appreciate everyone being down to get silly or talk extensively about themselves or frankly, anything else we've done during the year. It's just been a blast. And uh, like I said, need to recharge the batteries a little bit for right now. Definitely not sick of it, but there's other stuff to do. And uh, there is a chance to kind of step back and come at it fresh again early next year. Also, you should check out the Cape YouTube channel, which has a bunch of clips from every episode every week for most of 2021. That's where the video clips got really heavy in this last year. And as I said in volume one, that's kind of an extension of the best of because there were usually one, two, sometimes three clips from that week's episode put out on YouTube as video clips and on the Instagram 
page as well. So there may be video equivalents of some of these bits, and uh, there'll also be some video clips that will come out of this. Having reviewed the shows, I realized, oh, that would be a really good clip. I'm going to put that out. And the video clips will still be released, even though the show is on a break. So you can still check those out on YouTube. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Get the link in the link tree on the social media. It'll take you straight there. Or search Chris Abal's podcast experiment, obviously. And you can watch and see how this stuff actually went down. And for even more CAPE, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash CAPEPOD. $5 a month. Get you some bonus audio and some extras. And there will be some more exclusive stuff in 2022. And as for the regular weekly show, there are already some conversations happening. There are already some plans being made. There's already some stuff that's cooking, uh, including a few things that didn't actually come together in 2021. There's a few ideas that are going to be coming to fruition early in the 2022 run of the show. So make sure you're subscribed and keeping an eye on what's going on because there's a lot coming your way. But thank you very much. I really do appreciate you listening. I appreciate you following. And speaking of which, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Abalo and on Instagram at Chris Sells Out. Once again, Cape Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Please subscribe. Please share. Please tell a friend. It's all appreciated. And I'll be back in your ear soon enough with more nonsense. So until next time, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. Go to the hotel. I'm gonna take a shower. I'm gonna sleep for a month. <laughs>